have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. To another adventure here on Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media. Oh, well, I don't know where the heck we are besides iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, YouTube, Facebook, and Substack, and where else? Apple, Spotify, Simplicast, TuneIn, Pod, Pocket Cast. Oh, good Lord, and half a dozen other places, and also coming to new places very soon near you. Oh, you're listening to Southern Sense, and I am the hostess with the least hostess, Annie, the Radio Chickadee, along with my oh-so-patient and cavalier co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you doing? I'm doing great so far. Um, as I mentioned um, before, you know, we aired, I have visiting aunts, so they've been keeping me pretty busy. Other than that, I'm good <laughs> Uh, it's been a busy, busy, hectic, hectic week, and I got to tell you, um, I by the time I got home from all the running around we were doing yesterday, I didn't get to bed until around maybe two in the morning. So I am wiped. I am beat the ever loving because first thing in the morning we had to take my fiance's cat to the vet, and we got back maybe an hour before airtime. So I have been oh climbing the walls. I'm out of breath. I, I had an English muffin. I did eat something this morning. I got to admit, I really did have something to eat this morning. I was a good girl. <laughs> yeah, we got to keep that nourishment up. Oh, jeez. Uh, but, but we've got ourselves a great show. We have a lot to talk about. Um, something that, Curtis, I'll be talking to you off air on. We have a new potential avenue 
uh, taking us onto a completely different platform. Uh, whether or not we still maintain a connection with Blog Talk Radio, I don't know. We're going to see how whether or not that can work out. Um, but this yeah. will be somewhere uh, that is, I mean, you're talking about people listening to us upwards to a million. Uh, so we have a chance to leap on this opportunity, and I would be a fool not to do that and take you and I up to a higher level, uh, a lot more national coverage and a lot more exposure. And we would be part of a network system that includes not just print news, but as well as the Internet. And so it's very, very, very exciting. Uh, a friend of ours is going to be heading that, so we'll be talking to him later on the show. Uh, we have uh, a new friend to the show who will be joining us around 1.30, uh, Dr. Stanley K. Ridgely. He's got a new book out called Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. And when we talk to him, what we're seeing today in the news between yesterday in the indictment of Donald Trump and today at the overflow, talk about brainwashing. Holy moly, this is right up his alley. And then we're going to have Rick Mehta. Uh We've had him on the show before. He's a uh, Georgetown University health law professor, former FDA official, and he was also a U.S. Senate candidate for the state of New Jersey in 2020. That's when we last had him on. Then we're going to have our friend Dan Perkins. Uh, he's got the new adventure we're talking about and where we will go with him. Mark Tapscott from the Epic Times will be back with us, as well as our friend Hannah Davis from the Heritage Foundation. So we have a lot to talk about and a lot to do. And I think the big story of the day is the indictment of Donald Trump, plus two of his attorneys just before airtime resigned, and a trusted aide has been indicted in the indictment out of Florida by Jack Smith. It's getting hot and heavy over here, folks, getting hot and heavy. And and what about that other guy, um, Hunter who? <laughs> hmm? What about hmm. that other guy, the Hunter person? Uh, I guess he gets oh, a free pass. Oh, oh, mm. Well, that's also heating up. Whether or not we're going to see any uh, forward mer- motion on that one, we'll, uh, something we will discuss, because that's in my pile of notes here for today's show. So, yeah, like we said, there's a heck of a lot going on. And uh, I think we finally got the fire under the right, uh, where even the people on the left are thinking that maybe it's possible we should relook uh, the Department of Justice and the FBI. Because when a arm of the government can be employed by factions within the government to destroy a political opponent, we have lost our republic. And that is going to be something we delve rather deeply into today, whether or not our republic has been destroyed with this one single indictment. So we shall see what we shall see. And to think that um, Congress has had a hard time getting information, documentation from the FBI, that the, you know, FBI would thumb their nose, you know, a bureaucracy would thumb their nose that Congress, that takes it to another level, too, as far as being out of control. Yeah. Like I said, we have a lot, a lot to talk about on the show. And we've got three hours to do it, so let's get a little rocking and rolling here. Uh, That said, uh, those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer 
Ariana M. Preston of the Chicago Police Department. Her end of watch was Saturday, May 6th of this year. And we will start with the Officer Dan Memorial page that you can find at odmp.org. Police Officer Ariana Preston was shot and killed during an attempted robbery at 8157 South Blackstone Avenue in Chicago at about 1.30 a.m. on Saturday, May 6th, 2023. She had just finished her shift and was returning home when armed subjects confronted her, attempting to rob her. She was able to draw her weapon and exchange shots with multiple subjects before being mortally wounded. The subject stole her gun and fled the scene. An officer who was responding to a nearby crash discovered Officer Preston on the ground. The officer rendered aid and transported her to a local hospital in his patrol car. Five suspects, including one juvenile, were arrested the following day. Four of the subjects were charged with first-degree murder, armed robbery, arson, burglary, and possession of a stolen motor vehicle. Officer Preston had served on the Chicago Police Department for four and a half, I'm sorry, for two and a half years and was assigned to the 5th District. She was survived by her mother, father, and twin sibling. And this is from CBSNews.com. And it reads, Four teenagers have been charged in the fatal shooting of a Chicago police officer who was slain as she was heading home from work, authorities said. 19-year-olds Joseph Brooks, Travell Breland, Jaquan Buchanan, 18, and a 16-year-old boy faced charges of first-degree murder and armed robbery in a Saturday, May 6th, killing of Officer Ariana Preston, 24. The 16-year-old suspect will be tried as an adult, CBS Chicago reported. The Chicago Police Department said Preston was fatally shot around 1.40 a.m. that Saturday during a robbery spree. All four were charged with armed robbery, burglary, motor vehicle theft, and other offenses in connection with incidents that occurred on Friday and Saturday, police said. The youngest suspect allegedly bragged to a friend about the shooting. CBS Chicago reported that friend went straight to the police and called the suspect again, the station reported. This time, detectives were listening. During this phone call, the defendant, the suspect, made additional admissions to the robbery and shooting, including details that had not been released. Assistant State Attorney Ann Rogers McCord had said. The four were ordered with, held without bail on Wednesday by Judge David Kelly, who said prosecutors had provided a mountain of evidence that the suspects had engaged in a very violent crime spree. After the bond hearing, Preston's mother, Dion Mahoon, said she was heartbroken and full of anger, rage, and questions why. It wasn't immediately known if they had lawyers who could comment for them. Mayor Lori Lightfoot issued a statement commending police for swiftly apprehending the suspects responsible for Preston's heinous murder. Their diligent efforts had removed violent repeat offenders from our street, Lightfoot said. Cook County prosecutors said Preston was off duty 
on her way home after her shift early Sunday on the city's south side when the suspects passed her in a sedan, circled back, and approached her as she stood in front of her house. Residential surveillance video shows three people getting out of the sedan and running towards Preston, who was still in uniform, before several muzzle flashes are visible on video, and she falls to the ground, according to court documents. The attackers ran back to the sedan before one person returned to grab Preston's gun, court documents allege. The initial call of the shooting came around 1.42 a.m. on Saturday. But a backlog issue in the district led to a delay where officers didn't immediately respond. CBS Chicago reported around 2.02 a.m., a 911 alert was received from Preston's Apple Watch. Interim Police Superintendent Eric Carter said Preston's death was a tragedy for the city. Tyrone Pendarvis, the commander for the 5th District where Preston served, said the officer was a rising star whose death affected all who know her. She will be truly missed, he said. Preston worked for the department for just three years before her killing, according to department officials. Hers is considered a line-of-duty death, which entitles her family to financial assistance from the state, the Chicago Tribune reported. And finally, from the Chicago Sun-Times, written by Pat Nabong, Tom Shuba, and Sophie Sherry. And they write, As the mother of slain Chicago police officer Ariana Preston stepped to the podium at a far south side church, she spoke words of hope as she invoked her daughter's spirit. In this tragic situation, my family and I feel triumph, she told the crowd at Trinity United Church of Christ. We feel grace. We feel the love. We feel the hugs. And most importantly, we feel God's presence over us. There is a presence of Ariana's presence saying, keep going, Mama. You always wanted to be like me. Dionne Mahoon said she now plans to lead love, and be just like you, brave and bold with a warm spirit and a contagious smile. Preston was fatally wounded early May 6 when she exchanged gunfire with a group of robbers who approached her as she returned home from work, still wearing her police uniform. Though she was off-duty at the time, Preston's slaying is be considered a line-of-duty death. After four teenagers were charged in the killing, and denied bail, Mahoon said, she felt sorry because nobody told them you were loved. Nobody told them you can do anything. Mahoon remained hopeful as she remembered her daughter as a kid full of life, dreams, and big goals who wanted to make major changes. Death is only a tragic thing if you have not lived. My baby lived, she said to applause. I pray for peace in homes. I pray for peace in our communities. And I pray for peace in my heart. Rest peacefully, my sweet baby. Mama has it from here. Preston's sister, Amira, broke down as she spoke. Her twin sister's arms wrapped around her waist. 
We have been trying to find the right words to express our emotions, but that has been hard, she said. Knowing you your whole life and seeing how many people you've touched in so many ways or another speaks volumes, volumes on how welcoming and endearing you've been to so many people. She let the packed church into their inner sanctum, sharing an intimate side of the slain officer. You would come to home to us and argue over where your favorite makeup brush was, she recalled. Aside from the arguments we had, we had even more fun times, like when another sister had a summer party a few months ago, and all you did was dance and tell silly jokes. Amira Preston dwelled on her last conversation with Preston about posting the officer's new graduation photos online. You told me you loved me, she said. I told you to tell the world. My exact words, don't tell me, tell them. So here I am telling everyone that we love you. And you're an amazing big sister and best friend. You have set an incredible example for us. Cries from the family pierced through the sound of bagpipes. Once inside, those who served with the slain Chicago police officer, Ariana Preston, rose to their feet to show her how much we loved her. She wasn't alone with us, said Calumet District Commander Tyrone Pendarvis. We looked out for her. We look out for each other. We are a family. The officers wore yellow ribbons, Preston's favorite color. Pendarvis told the packed church that Preston immediately made herself known when she reported to his district. I want you to know this name with this face. That's who I am, Pendarvis recalled. I was taken off guard because I'm like, hey, I'm the commander. But she put me right in my place and let me know, hey, you're just the commander. But I am Ariana. Preston made fast friends at the district and bonded with a group of con- colleagues that dubbed themselves the Fab Five, according to Jashwana Turnage, a civilian employee. Flanked at the church's podium by the three other women, Turnage said the district station would light up when Preston arrived and embraced everyone with a hug. Turnage said that Preston earned the nickname Princess P though the Fab Five had their own moniker for her. She was like the little sister who oftentimes acted as the big sister, Turnage said. She would often joke with us and say she was hanging out with her aunties. In response, we gave her the nickname Little Baby. Turnage described Preston as a firecracker who was resilient, courageous, and embodied integrity, and most certainly, she demanded her respect. Preston had a knack for lifting people's spirits and was well known for her singing, dancing, and wisecracking. In just 24 short years, she accomplished so much, Turnage said. Though she was wise beyond her years, she lived her life fearlessly and did everything she wanted to do, including continuing her plans to further her education. Eric Carter, who retired Monday as the city's acting police superintendent, described Preston as sincere, thoughtful, witty, well-organized, and goal-oriented, and outgoing, and definitely a ray of sunshine. She brightened every room she walked into and put a smile on everyone's face, Carter said. 
Her presence was unmistakable, and she was unforgettable. Ariana was a daughter of Chicago, born and raised right here in this city. Carter noted that Preston and his daughter were both members of the cheerleading team at UIC College Prep, where his wife served as their assistant coach. Preston was the team's flyer, he said, performing terrific, terrifying stunts and positioning yourself at the top of the pyramid. Preston then attended Illinois State University, graduating a year early with a degree in criminal justice that was cemented by her passion for public safety and public service, Carter said. She wanted to be a voice for the voiceless, Carter said. But when Ariana told her mother, Diana, that her plans to become a Chicago police officer, she was definitely concerned, and understandably so. Though Preston's mother worried about her daughter's small stature, Carter said she knew there was a way about Ariana. When she set her mind to something, she never gave up, and she never gave in, Carter said. She set goals, and she achieved every one of them. Over the weekend, Preston's mother accepted her posthumous master's degree in jurisprudence from Loyola University of Chicago. Carter said she had her sights on joining the FBI. Her application got accepted, and she was just waiting on her final interview when this tragic incident happened. Ariana always knew she could make a difference, and that she would make a difference. Mayor Johnson said Preston knew that laying down her life, even for those who do not always value life, is the exemplary example of righteousness. Ariana devoted her life to the very principles of justice and peace, he said. And Ariana obviously walked uprightly in her life. So now she gets to rest in that peace. The city has so much to do to restore hope and promise, Johnson said. But President's life teaches us the importance of doing the right thing, especially when it's hard. Though her watch is ended, her dedication to justice and her commitment to serving this city will live forever, he said. God, thank you for the gift of Ariana. God, thank you for the gift of life. Today's show is dedicated to police officer Ariana Preston. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve in this nation as our military and first line of defense from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to them this song by Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless each and every one. Peace. 
Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Facebook, iHeart, oh, good Lord, half a dozen other places. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess, but the least most is the Radio Chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. All right, Curtis, we're waiting for our first guest to call in, which he should call in in a few moments. I'd call him, but he didn't give me a phone number to call. <laughs> so I do believe that this must be him. This must be him. Let's welcome onto the show for the first time, and probably would be the last year if he gets done with us, <laughs> Dr. Stanley K. Ridgely. Good afternoon, Stanley. How are you today? And I just got a cat put her claw in my leg. Ouch. <laughs> Good afternoon. Hey, Annie. How are you guys doing? All right. Ah. We're having one of those days. <laughs> one of those days. Ever, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> you know that? No, I, I know. I know you got a guy calling here from West Philadelphia, home of high taxes, high crime, 70, uh, 27% poverty rate, and 70 years of consecutive Democrat rule. So, um, you know, what's not to like, you know? Well, you know, I have to say, my co-host is from Pennsylvania, so he knows from where you speak. And I, as you can tell, I have a New York dialect. <laughs> so mm-hmm. We're very oh, yeah. familiar with y'all Yankees up there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, I'm, I'm from North Carolina. I was going to say I'm from North Carolina. Originally been up for 30 years and still haven't converted, uh, converted to Yankeedom yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, you migrated in reverse. Oh, yeah. You know, um, when you sent me the PDF of of your um, book, which I enjoyed immensely, and it is an eye-opener for people that are unaware of what has been going on with our higher learning uh, uh, Mm -hmm. establishment um, for decades, actually for more than a century, to be honest, um, it is an eye-opener. But when you look at the universities and how it's branched out to the rest of society, you can now understand why we've gone down this path of wokeness uh, to the extent that now we find the fabric of our republic being threatened with the news of Trump's indictment down in Florida. I mean, never before, not once but now twice, has a single sitting president been indicted. And it it is a launch of using the power of government an arm of the government that is controlled by the far left wing to control the other political opponent. And I've never seen anything in the history of our nation. Yeah, it's uh, certainly an issue, a problem. Um, I try to stay away from that sort of discourse on the college campus because it's kind of futile when you, when you get right down to it. Uh, <laughs> I deal in, uh, I, I'm someone that characterized me as being someone behind enemy lines and, uh, uh, I, I have not rejected that characterization. Um, I'm a former military intelligence officer, so I know um, how to analyze the uh, the enemy. I know who to identify, how to identify the enemy uh, amongst uh, 
uh, amongst a bunch of uh, smiling faces. So uh, it's best to tread lightly on, on the college campus with regard to these types of uh, current, you know, occurral political political issues. Okay. Well, uh, talk about being thrown into the middle of the pile and you're the lone one standing. I used to live in the Boston area for about two years. So I know from mm-hmm. whence you speak, when you yeah. walk out there into the middle of uh, John F. Kennedy Plaza, and you're like, I'm the only Republican, I think, in a square mile. <laughs> but you've got well, a fantastic you know, they think book out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was no, going to have a fantastic say, I, book out. I understand. I happen to agree with you on that. <laughs> I do agree with my self-assessment of that book. is something that um, uh, has been a long time coming. I worked for six years on that book, not intending to write that book. The book, of course, is Brutal Minds. Um, it was uh, originally an entirely different book about the influence of uh, Marxist uh, ideology on uh, business um, instruction. Um, Marxist ideology, of course, in the economic realm, not the not the philosophical realm, but um, it, it it slowly uh, emerged that there was a greater problem on the college campuses than just simply a Marxist influence in how business is taught. Um, and as I tugged on that thread, that, that thread that uh, research led, you know, that path that um, the thread led me down, I was um, able to put together um, an accurate assessment which greatly surprised me that there's this bureaucratic mechanism in place that's guaranteeing the degradation of our higher education institutions uh, nationwide. Um, and that's the substance of, of Brutal Minds. Yeah, the book is called Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. And I went to college in 19 And back then, <laughs> uh, you write in your book, <laughs> you like that one. <laughs> I hide my gray hair very nicely. Um, But back then, uh, Vietnam was coming down, uh, but Mm -hmm. the unrest that was on the college campuses, you still had at that point where you had the ability to have a discourse that Mm -hmm. one side could debate the other side. It's gotten to the point where now that doesn't even exist anymore. You must parrot whatever your instructor or student affairs officer is telling you. And if you don't, you fail. But at least at one point, you used to be able to have a discussion. And it wouldn't erupt into violence or anything. You may have a couple of loud voices, but you still had a discussion. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad that you cited the 60s. And the uh, the 60s were a very turbulent decade. Um, and we can look to... Um, if you want to look at one of the sources, of course, it would be uh, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory and the neo-Marxist um, field of critical theory led by, at the time, Herbert Marcuse, and, uh, especially in 1968. Uh, at that time, there were considered the three M's that any, any self-respecting leftist would have to know about, and that would be Marx, Mao, and Marcuse. And uh, this is stated very clearly in one of the interviews he gave to a Paris newspaper. Uh, Well, Marcuse in 1972 parroted Rudy Dushke, a German uh, socialist, uh, in saying that we are engaged in a long march through the institutions, indicating that the left-wing, radical left-wing takeover of the institutions in the West uh, would be a long long affair. And he alluded to the long march of Mao Zedong. Uh, the physical long march that Mao and his followers took, uh, fleeing from the national, the I'm sorry, the Guomindang, uh, during the uh, during the Chinese Communist Revolution, he alluded to this because he knew that this would be a long, drawn out, generations long um, uh, affair. 
and we're finding the fruits of uh, the bitter fruits of his promise are coming to coming to haunt us now uh, with the idea that these guys and gals who uh, grew up in the 60s who earned their spurs uh, in in the 60s uh, on the you know, during the Vietnam uh, conflict and uh, paying homage to their uh, Marxist uh, masters and their Marxist influencers and and in, uh, inspiration are now part of uh, part and parcel of the uh, degradation of American higher education. You mentioned or you stated something that was very important, and that is the Weberian notion of the institution of higher education as being a, a, an, a an arena where ideas can contend freely and, and openly. And that's uh, the uh, idea that it's a repository of the best that has been thought and said, to borrow from Matthew Arnold, and the idea that we're engaged in knowledge creation using logic, reason, scientific method, progress, uh, improving the human condition, and passing that on to the next generation. Well, the folks that have taken over, uh, the folks that you uh, brushed up against back in the 1960s, are, are engaged in transforming well, the universe. Move, move me up yeah. one decade. Just move, move me up one decade. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> well, okay, well, you know, the, the Vietnam War ended in the, in the early 70s, so we'll go with the 70s, okay? And, and they, they yeah. basically uh, have, have decided to transform the university, have always wanted to transform the university from a repository, the best has been thought and said, uh, an enlightenment creation to a crucible of indoctrination whereby Marxist ideas are in dominance and are not challenged. And instead, the problem becomes how can we educate, their word, educate the, um, the uh, current generation to become, uh, become warriors in the battles of the Marxist future. This was, this was stated explicitly when I was a graduate student back at Duke University in the late 1980s by a fellow by the name of Frederick Jameson, who was a, uh, uh, a, one of the premier Marxist theorists in this country. He said that the purpose of education, the purpose of the university, is to train cadres for the struggles of the Marxist future. And he actually said this, and I, I salute him on his candor, uh, but because he was so frank, uh, it indicates the how far down we have come that someone could state this type of, of, um, of, of goal of destroying the university in its present form and turning it into an instrument of propaganda for the state, very much like uh, you know, Orwell's 1984 coming uh, to, to reality. Very frightening. Well, now, I have a, a question because I thought of this just now. It wasn't while I was doing my notes. But with the rise of these online colleges such as Hillsdale and Liberty and now individuals working out there coming home and doing an online course, are we going to find that maybe this Marxist march may be starting to falter? Because now people are starting to think independently or think there's an alternative. Uh, maybe Phoenix University will give me a more broad spectrum philosophically, politically, educationally, <clears throat> rather than doing this transformental education, uh, excuse me, a.k.a. brainwashing. Well, yeah, you know, you used a very good, important term, a transformative education. That's the uh, term that they, they, being the social justice educators, use for their brand of, of so-called education. Anywhere you hear social justice education or transformative education, you're in the presence of the brainwash. You mentioned the Great Awakening. Part of that Great Awakening happened as a result of the pandemic when a lot of high school students uh, had to, and some college students, had to go to remote uh, learning, and this is when parents found out that uh, the secondary schools and, and elementary and primary schools, of course, had been basically taken over by the graduates of our education schools, some of the most least respected 
units, uh, academic units on the college campus. And this started the, the Great Awakening. Uh, and we've seen a kind of a, uh, a grassroots against this type of Marxist indoctrination. And, and I use the term Marxist. People go, oh, you know, Marxist is really, really? Yes, indeed, because this is what they themselves claim for themselves. Um, education schools were permeated with Marxist ideology uh, <clears throat> over the last several decades. There's no secret. It's no, there's no dispute. The major theorists of critical theory and critical pedagogy who have influenced the education schools, I'll give you their names, Michael Apple, um, uh, Henry Giroux, Paulo, Paulo Freire, Irish Shore, are all self-declared Marxists. They don't make any they don't attempt to hide it. Um, but Marxism has always been a tough sell in the United States, despite what the Marxists themselves would like to see. Very tough sell. So what you do if you're in, in the education schools, you try to find a front man, the same way a, a gangster finds a front man to launder his dirty, dirty money. You find a, a front man to launder the dirty theory. And they did a good job of this by identifying Paulo Freire, a Brazilian educator. Again, his name is Paulo Freire, uh, a Marxist, a, actually a crypto Maoist who learned his, his Marxism in the 1960s, wrote a very influential book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed in 1970, which has become the, you know, the Bible of critical theory and, and critical pedagogy in education schools. He was a Marxist through and through. He greatly admired, greatly admired Mao Zedong's cultural revolution because it decided it was a used techniques that we find in our own colleges and universities now, the, the brainwash or thought reform, the idea that you can mold or rectify the thinking of large numbers of people uh, intentionally and en masse in, um, in uh, our units of higher education. And that's the source of all of this, all of this brainwashing. Whether these online courses can penetrate the, as you mentioned, can penetrate the psyche of enough people is, uh, is anybody's guess. But, you know, the Hillsdale online courses have been recommended to me by a lot of people. And um, I salute the, the institutions that are trying to, uh, Prager University, I imagine, is another one. Um, and I salute these folks who are trying to present alternatives that are denied people in the institutional um, uniformity we find in, in, in higher education in not providing the alternatives uh, to these uh, noxious theories that have, you know, many of them have been debunked long ago by thinkers far better, far better than them. So um, there are alternatives out there. Yeah, it's funny because if you if you look at the march of the Marxists through our education system, it started, yeah. like I said, more than 100 years ago. And who brought the Marxist the ideology into our government? With Woodrow Wilson with his German uh, philosophers. Uh, and then just that it was the first time we ever had someone hold the seat of president that wasn't someone that was involved in the business community or or anything like that. He, he was a college professor. What did you know about everyday life? Never held a regular job. You know, same thing with FDR. But if we look at the march that they have done, slowly and surely they said, well, we need public education so to make sure everyone gets educated. So they started with little small towns. All right, fine, you, you bring in your school teacher, whatever, whatever. Now it then became federally, federal. Thank you very much, Richard Nixon. Uh, but we watched it with even the incursion of health education. And as a kid growing up, watching them bring in the busing, the health education, I said, wait a minute. They're saying the federal government is now going to control what local education is. Now they're going to control what they teach. And they did that with health education. Oh, we're going to teach you about 
things like uh, pneumonia or the plague and you know, show you how to stay healthy and tell you about the, the human body, biology. Well, you got biology class for that. You don't need health education for that. But they said, no, there's a reason for that. And it opened the door to what we have now with teaching transgenderism and sexual perversion to five- and six-year-olds in our education system. They opened the door back then, and we allowed them to do it. But no, no, it's for the good of the kids. But then they turned around and said, don't involve the parents. Don't let them know what the curriculum is. And they started on the college level. Now they do this on the local school level. So whatever happens up there, if it works, it's going to trickle down to your kindergarten, pre-kindergarten class, isn't it? Well, I have to agree with you 100% on this notion of keeping parents in the dark, and this is certainly something the colleges have become very, become very skilled at. Um, in fact, uh, and you'll find this in Brutal Minds, my book, um, that most folks on the college campus dealing with student affairs and dealing with college students outside the classroom don't want the involvement of parents. They certainly don't want parents understanding explicitly what is going on in the types of material that are being presented to, to college students as, as a fait accompli, being presented to students as this is the way things are when they're very academically problematic. Um, they have names for parents. Um, they have helicopter parents, uh, toxic parents, vicarious college students, pathetic parents. Uh, these are, this is how they talk about parents behind their backs, and they certainly talk about it in their, in their literature. Uh, which I've uh, reviewed extensively. Um, this is, can, may come as a shock to, to many parents, uh, especially those, particularly those, who want to be, stay involved in their college students' education. This is the type of involved parent that student affairs folks, folks on the campuses do not like. They want, and they will tell parents, to stay, you know, to move out of the picture. You've given us your, your, you know, write your tuition check, give us your students, we're going to take, take it from here. And the next thing, People know. Next thing that parents know, their student has come home from that to, for that first Thanksgiving holiday, and they're alienated. They're angry at their parents. Um, they want to lecture their parents on the way things really are. And parents are like, "What the heck is, is going on here? What are they teaching you?" And they basically parents want to keep the peace, so they uh, they just assume that the, their kids are going through a phase. Well, it's not a phase. It is a it's the result of a planned, intentional uh, indoctrination, and it's being imposed not not really by a majority of faculty. My faculty colleagues, God bless them, most of them are not engaged in this sort of thing. They're engaged in research and teaching and, and, and service to the university. These are the bureaucrats who come out of education schools, the product of graduate programs and student affairs and educational leadership. They get their EDD and they move back into the university as bureaucrats. And they teach in what is called a co-curriculum which has nothing to do with the curriculum of you know, physics and, and business and economics and that sort of thing. This is a, a co-curriculum which of you know, a scattershot group of courses and seminars and confabs and caucuses put together by uh, largely left-wing, radical left-wing people who uh, want to, as they say in their own literature, transform the university boldly transform the university, decolonize the university of its, of its uh, supremacist ideas, and instead introduce notions of emancipation and educating for freedom, which is basically all crypto-Maoist. It's the, um, the ideology that has emerged from the education schools, inspired by Mao and Marx, and uh, adapt, adapted by these bureaucrats. Why, why is it so 
why is it so such a, a degree of sameness across so many universities and colleges nationwide? It's because they're all coming out of education schools, and these folks outnumber ideologically uh, conservatives on the campuses 12 to 1. Uh, the liberal to conservative cant is 12 to 1. This comes from the research of Samuel Abrams from Sarah Lawrence College in the last two years. Well, the faculty cant's liberal to conservative 6 to 1. It's these bureaucrats 12 to 1. There is no alternative voice to all of the uh, lockstep ideology that's being um, provided to or messaged to our, to our college students. And so that's why there is such a problem on the college campus with this indoctrination. And it's such a problem that I think I'm delighted that in Florida and in Texas and in Iowa and, and to a lesser extent in Virginia, this threat is being met forthrightly by committed and principled state legislators. And uh, Ron DeSantis is, is unabashedly, unabashedly leading the charge in Florida, and I wish many more of our elected officials would recognize the threat and take action. And that's, well, that's here so in the true. States- well, I was going to say, here in the state of South Carolina, we have legislation to attack this in the um, in our uh, uh, K through 12 uh, education system. Mm-hmm. We do require the founding uh, documents be taught in. Uh, I believe now it's going down to junior high, high school, as well as you know the higher level of, of education, colleges and universities. So we we put the building blocks there. It's now it's a matter of what we do with them because there was a one point a number of years ago that they decided at the University of South Carolina up in Columbia, they wanted to teach women how to become lesbians in three days. Uh, well, we had various groups, of course, the state of South Carolina in mass <laughs> mm-hmm. attacked the state capitol uh, with phone calls and messages and people showing up, and that curriculum was yanked one, two, three. But it takes public action, and that's what the universities are hoping doesn't happen. If you bring it to the forefront like you are, oh, my goodness, we now threaten uh, the university's survival because who's going to give them an endowment if we show that you're actually brainwashing and not teaching our kids? Well, right. I think that uh, parental action, uh, donor action, alumni action, uh, and pressure on boards of trustees is, um, is, is a good long, longer-term solution. Um, because, you know, as it was just Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis that said that sunlight is the uh, best disinfectant. And one of the things yeah. that these folks is is information getting out. I will tell you, it's very difficult to find to, to get the information and the readings and the um, uh, ideo- ideological tracks that are being used in these courses. Uh, it is almost impossible on the college campus, even for someone like myself, who's simply trying to get trying to find out what the facts are. And getting that information is nearly Im- impossible. They simply will not provide it. Um, now, they, um, how do I know I'm not being provided the information that I asked for? Well, I am provided that information uh, through a third party, students who are concerned about this sort of thing who say, this is not right. There's got to be something more than this. Have a look at this, Dr. Ridgely. Tell me, what do you think of this? Is this is all we're being provided? Or colleagues, professors who go through these types of programs provide me this information. I then ask for the information. I'm told that this information is not available because I, quote, unquote, take it out of context. 
so I then enroll in the program. <laughs> How dare you think? <laughs> and, yes, yes, yes. I enroll in the programs to find out what's going on, and then I find out that the actual readings that are given to me and the half a dozen other people who enroll in this this pseudo course that I'm taking, uh, it, it's very uh, truncated. It's valvularized. It's censored. I don't get the actual material. I know what's not being provided to me because I already have it. I already have this, and so I'm comparing the list of stuff that is is given, say, to you when you take this course, and you're giving all of this material, and you are you're told that this is the way it is. This, of course, being uh, ideologically grounded material that is based in fantasy, fable, and fiction. And I'm not given this sort of thing because, you know, I might use it out of context. Well, the fact is I already have this material, and now I know what the deception is and how duplicitous these people are when they're providing information. Say, if you were a parent, if you were to ask for the information, you're not going to get the uh, you're not going to get the actual information. You're going to get a a carefully a carefully curated version of it. And you look at this and you say, oh, well, this is this is fine. This is wonderful. Well, no, it's not, because there is this block. There's a censorious block on the information on what is actually being communicated to college students. And if you're a parent trying to find out what that is, you're not going to get it. And you certainly won't get it on what is called a parent's portal or a family portal, which purports to provide the parents information about your college student's education. You know, you'll get, you'll get date, you know, dates, deadlines for the tuition payments. You'll get deadlines for the you know, registration for courses and maybe the occasional article on career day and when that's going to happen. But anything substantial, anything that has to do with the quote-unquote transformative education or social justice education, you will not receive. Now, where did that term transformative education come from? Well, it, it was changed from its previous label back in the 1990s by educationists. They changed it from something called re-education. And re-education was the term utilized by the guy who invented the brainwash, a social psychologist from MIT by the name of Kurt Lewin. In the 1940s, developed the brainwash to address criminality, criminals and to prevent them from you know, you know, drifting back into to crime. And so he invented a, a, a method called the encounter, it was, he's the father of the encounter group, whereby criminals have, would have their belief system changed by unfreezing, changing it, and then refreezing it, manipulating these uh, criminals, uh, utilizing psychological manipulation, manipulation techniques and uh, behavior modification techniques to unsettle their belief system, their identity, their sense of self, change that belief system to something more in line with what he thought was suitable, and then refreezing that new belief system. Well, this is the system, and he, he called this re-education. That, that um, you know, acquired an unsavory connotation over the years, and the educationists in the education schools said, you know what, we need to change this. We need to change the, change the label. They changed it to transformative education, and they also utilized the term social justice education, to mask the actual Marxist Maoist content uh, of this, uh, and to also mask the the, uh, the uh, techniques that are used to, when I say brainwash, I mean change the belief system of the people being exposed to it. So it's really a nefarious, dastardly kind of uh, activity that's ongoing on most all college campuses in America. Anywhere, social justice education is being practiced. Yeah, well, Curtis, you I... had a question. Yeah, I was going to state that I had opportunity back in 2011 and 2012 to see this from the inside when I went for my third degree program. And um, there was an elective I had to take to fill in, you know, my course requirements. 
<clears throat> and it had, happened to be a liberal court about the 60s or something like that. Um, fortunately, my department of um, political science was pretty pretty conservative. So I took this course, and um, I had a classmate there. We befriended one another, and she would ask me to, you know, look over her paperwork and stuff. So one time she asked me to review one research paper, and I looked at it, and um, I said, this is an A paper. She said, how do you know that? I said, because that's what I get, A's. So I recognize A's. So a week later, when we finally got our paperwork back, she got that A. I got a C. I guess they didn't like my answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. But um, that that startled me that it would be that pronounced. Um, they're, you know, they're biased. But um, I still graduated magna cum laude. But had I not had a conservative um, faculty in the political science mm-hmm. people, I doubt if I would have came out of C student with that bias. Yeah, yeah well, the, the, you know, the, the political bias in the uh, in the faculty and teaching and in, in, uh, in academic affairs is certainly can certainly be a problem because a lot of professors and I'm moving over from talking about the bureaucrats now to the actual professoriate. Uh, many professors, most professors, I think, approach uh, the university in the old Max Weberian way, and the idea of the classroom should be a neutral venue where ideas can be uh, discussed and, uh, freely, and the, and the professor is going to step aside to a certain extent and not um, utilize that position of authority to impose a particular particular viewpoint. And it's supposed to entertain various, various viewpoints, and through this process, uh, a kind of a, a students learn by doing, learn by discussing, learn by questioning in a kind of Socratic back and forth, and um, this is part and parcel of what the Enlightenment University is all about. Sadly, I think that a lot of professors who, who matured, who came of age during the late 60s and, and on into the 70s and who have been exposed to this kind of notion of what's called critical consciousness. Uh, critical consciousness, by the way, is the official kind of the uh, official formal title, formal label of what is called now in the popular vernacular, woke. Uh, the idea of critical consciousness is that you have been exposed to a Marxist um, viewpoint and that you now understand and can see the contradictions in our society, the relations of power and privilege, the scales have fallen from your eyes, you are privy to the truth, you are privy to hidden knowledge, and it is your duty to bring students and your associates, your faculty, your staff from their condition of false consciousness to this um, to this state of critical consciousness that you enjoy, and that means that you see the world in a particular a particular way, uh, which is consonant or is perceived to be uh, the truth. The truth. Now, this is this is old as Plato. Now, Plato introduced this whole notion when his, in his allegory of the cave, when he, in his classic of the Republic, when the idea that someone who emerges from the cave uh, that um, the, the cramped ideological, philosophical uh, view that we have inside this cave. Someone emerges from the cave and discovers the, 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 the world outside and is privy to this, to this world that is denied to the rest of us. And this person's job uh, is to go back into the cave and try to bring all of us out of the cave to understand this world outside that we don't understand. Well, this has been the, this has been the technique of snake oil salesmen and charlatans throughout history. 
And the folks who are doing this, the educationists and the critical theorists, the critical consciousness, the woke crowd on campus, this is just the latest edition of Plato's Cave. They believe they have privy to the, they're privy to the truth and that their job is to um, bring the rest of us out into the, into the world. And if we don't agree, well, then we are to be, I think the word to, that they use today is canceled uh, and, and rejected. Um, I think it's important we understand that this is nothing new. It's just a technique and that we have to, once we understand this is what's going on, this enables us and provides us with the tools to combat that. And I do this. I do this in my book, Brutal Minds. I show you how to, uh, to combat these people because they're not good people and how we can restore the university to its uh, traditional mission. Now, that is important, and you do have that in Chapter 9, uh, which mm-hmm. I wanted to print out, but I did the mistake. I opened it up in my Adobe uh, uh, Acrobat and not inside the Kindle, mm-hmm. so I couldn't print out the notes properly. Otherwise, I would have had 50 pages of notes sitting here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we definitely have to have you back on because we could easily do an hour or more with you on this book and how it is affecting us in our society here and now today. Because I wanted to ask you how AI is also influencing uh, things not only on the campus but now today off campus. And what we're seeing in today's society could scare the bejesus mm-hmm. off of anyone. Uh, the strictest Catholic school, none would be scared pantless. <laughs> Wow, you're exactly I just, right. I already have sister so-and-so going, I'm going to get you for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, to ask, you, I have to ask you, Annie, how, how do you survive down there in South Carolina with that, uh, that New York accent? Well, I may not have been born in the South, but I got here as soon as I could. Plus, it helps. I run the Buford Tea Party since 2009. So there people stand out yeah. of my way. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank you so much for having me on. I do appreciate it. Well, we'll be talking. We'll get you back on again soon because, like I said, there's so much going on and what affects what you write in the book. As these students come out into our society, what they're learning there is affecting us here and now, as we can see with Budweiser and Target and shall we go on and on and on and on? Oh, yeah. I think that um, the brutal minds in the hand of every college student and parent would be a, a wonderful tonic. To, uh, to counter the type of thing we're seeing on the college campuses and on into the larger culture. So I look well, forward Dr. to coming Rilishi, back and talking about it. Well, we get a lot of listeners that come in on the archives later on, and all they do is click on the words Brutal Minds. We'll take them straight over where they can purchase your book at BrutalMinds.com. God bless you, and we'll be talking soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye now. All right, take care. Dr. Stanley Ridgely, t- check him out at BrutalMinds.com. We want to welcome back to our show. Unfortunately, he did not win the seat, which I would have loved to see him become a senator from the great state of New Jersey, the home of my mother, um, uh, Rick Meta. Good afternoon, Rick. How are you today? Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me back on. Oh, good Lord. I don't even know where to start with you today. Uh, you know, <laughs> With what has been going on in the last 24 hours, I think every single head in the United States is spinning. And we've got people overseas jumping up and down for joy to see that we're destroying ourselves from within. It is crazy out there between the presidential candidates, uh, what uh, Jack Smith in Florida, the uh, prosecutor, is doing with Donald Trump, what Alvin Bragg is doing with Donald Trump, with uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden not being prosecuted for taking bribes of $5 million or more. Holy moly, the whole nation is upside down. 
I got to tell you, the world is on fire, and they're telling people to look in the other direction. And when I say on fire, I mean both literally and figuratively. Look, look what's going on in my home state of New Jersey right now. The last couple of days, we've been completely covered in smoke from the wildfires in California, uh, from Canada. And, you know, the air quality has been the worst in New York City, New Jersey, in the history uh, of, of recorded time. Uh, and we don't have the president making any comments on what's going on with this uh, how the people in the state are doing. At the same time, you know, our economy continues to go down. Mortgage crisis. We are living in a dystopian world right now, and they're talking about bringing more charges to the former president to have people look away what is not more than seemingly a political persecution of a former president that's never happened uh, the world is on fire, and I'm telling you, the Biden administration and the people in charge just do not care. They do not think that Americans are clued in on what's going on. It's this elitist mentality that uh, is just dividing and killing our country. Sad. It's a very sad day today. It is a very sad day, and never in our history have we seen one political party use the arm of the federal government to take out a presidential opponent literally using the arm and oh joe biden says oh no i didn't tell the doj to do that no then who's the puppet master behind you joe biden it's coming straight out of the oval office and whether or not joe biden's cognizant enough to know that he's done that which i doubt he 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 is unaware of what's happening uh they're using the oval office to bludgeon their political opponents. But then again, we saw this under President Obama with Lois Lerner going after the Tea Party uh, movement, the the conservative movements, the 9-11 movements. Matter of fact, three friends of mine were ones that uh, testified before Congress. Joe Dugan, who has passed away recently, Diane Hardy, and oh my God, I see her face and I forgot her name now. And I spoke to her just the other day. How embarrassing testifying before Congress about what Lois Lerner was doing to go after the Tea Party movement because we dared to question authority. And this is what's happening now with us. How dare we? Absolutely. I mean, the the idiom, the emperor has no clothes, uh, is so befitting as to what's going on right now. The, even the Democrat Party, aside, you know, beside themselves, unwilling to recognize the shortcomings and issues of what's going on with Biden and his presidency. I mean, you see him literally not being able to stand up properly, tripping over. And and these things matter because we are supposed to be the most powerful country in the entire world. We stay, And not just to be the most powerful country, but to stand for freedom, stand for our republic and our way of democracy and our way of life to institute and instill that on other countries that are continuing to mature. Uh, and, and he is supposed to be the figurehead of an example, and instead we've become the laughingstock. Now, if you look at the Trump indictment over the Espionage Act, and you see the situation in terms of facts, right? You know, in, in a prosecution in, and in law, you have facts, and then you have the law, right? And the facts have to meet the standards of the law. Facts in and of itself, we know that Joe Biden committed the same activities as President Trump, and yet not one word 
has come out from any special counsel or any investigation to say, you know, President uh, Biden also has some implications in the dealings of moving confidential information or these, you know, so-called classified documents. Uh, and we know that he kept these documents in his own garage on personal areas at the University of Pennsylvania. And as you mentioned, notwithstanding the issues with Hunter, Hunter Biden, his laptop and the information on that laptop, it is beyond just a two-tiered system of justice, the weaponization of our justice system to meet a political agenda, to influence the political election and outcome. You know, and when I say sad day, I mean, this is, again, not just sad for uh, Republicans, but for America. It's sad that the Republican Party also is not standing up for what's right. I mean, I want to see the other presidential candidates right now on stage front and center addressing this and talking about this and then seeing saying how they are going to use power within their own putting aside the political agenda put, putting aside the the election and upcoming you know uh issues that we have putting that aside and saying for our country we need to come together and address this crazy use and abuse of power coming out of the biden administration you know, it's it's gotten so bad, and everyone's just going to fluff this off. But uh, Walt Nauta, uh, who was an aide to President Trump, a well-decorated Navy, uh, 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 what is it, chief, um, he is now being indicted under the same indictment as President Obama. Two of his attorneys have been so intimidated by this prosecutor that they have resigned from Trump's team as of today. Now, he has to appear in court to plea on Tuesday. Do you think they're going to give him you know, a little extension, say, well, you need to get yourself a new team in, in place to decide how you're going to do this, whether or not you're going to draft or dismissal, what are you going to do? His two top attorneys are forced to resign because of the intimidation that was placed upon them. But yet you're an attorney, you're a practicing attorney, you know there is a client attorney privilege. So what did this Department of Justice and this prosecutor do to cow these two attorneys? Say, oh, we're going to include you in the indictment because you know the boxes were there or not? Yeah. It's, it's Again, it's, it's quite an unprecedented thing. I, I don't know what's going to happen now, and in fact so much of it is just breaking news uh, as we speak, right, I think they finally just opened up the indictment report, what he's charged on. And, and of course, these attorneys had a, had visibility um, into the uh, indictment itself. In fact, I'm still trying to bring myself up to speed on what's unfolding. But, again, you know, it is quite unremarkable. It's incredulous, to be honest with you. It's it's really hard to believe that in our country, you know, the the slighted bias that's been towards Donald Trump in particular, no other uh, political figure has been so badly persecuted in the history of our country, possibly in the history of the world in terms of, you know, leaders go. Uh, so, you know, I just don't see the administration and the, and the Department of Justice giving any um, uh, credence or leeway to President Trump. You know, they treat him like he's just another individual. In fact, even worse... Uh, because of his political status and because of the influence and the weight that he carries, this just is going to continue to further, you know, divide our country. And and what's, I think, so mind-blowing to me is the fact that, if anything, this is helping to 
uh, bolster his base, uh, you know, and, and especially among uh, demographic groups that continue to feel persecuted by the Department of Justice, by the justice system in general, feeling there's an unequal weighted hand around this. I mean, this just gives into the, the, the credence that, you know, change has to be imminent, that these government agencies, this fourth branch of government, has grown so powerful uh, beyond reproach that we have to do something to control them, to make sure that they fall within our political process and under our political system. You know, they have to be accountable to the political process, meaning to the people. They have to be accountable to the people, and that's where we've gotten away from. I don't know if you saw Neil Gorsuch's recent um, dissenting opinion uh, under when Title 42 was being uh, repealed. I thought this was so well written about how our civil liberties continued to be eroded under the policies created over COVID. Uh, and really, you know, people thought that the COVID response was like a public health response. But what it really was, from a bigger picture, was the greatest intrusion on our civil liberties and using the public health system as a way to encroach on our civil liberties and talking about this fourth branch of government and how we no longer have accountability to the political process and we have a group of elitists that are running not just these agencies, but are literally running our country, becoming so big that even the policymakers that are elected into their position cannot control these agencies. We have to shift the power back to the people, and that truly is the biggest issue of what's going on in our country right now. Well, we have a government that's run by a bunch of bureaucrats using regulations with the power of full legislation. They're using fines and rules and suggestions as if it was a law and having people pay monetary and criminal penalties for a regulation or a suggestion. Now, instead of a, a mask mandate, mask suggestion becomes a mandate. And if you don't wear a mask, you're subject to arrest. We've seen that happen in New York City. Now... We have allowed bureaucrats to have the full power and, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, authority of law. And if we do that, then we destroy our republic. It's no longer a republic founded on the principle of law, the foundation being the Constitution, the House being the United States. That no longer exists. It's now the bureaucrats deciding what is law or what isn't law and who gets favored, who doesn't get favored, and what political uh, a party gets favored over the other political party. It no longer becomes a republic. It becomes a dictatorship. That, that's exactly right. And, you know, if you see the kind of progression of the history of our country, you've seen an outsizing of a federal government when, you know, in reality the Constitution was written to have a country and to have a federal system but have, a, like you said, a republic, which means the authorities were with the state. And public health authorities under the Tenth Amendment are the police power that are reserved to the state in order to effectuate. And we saw the state, you know, kind of – having uh, usurping that authority into the federal government and the federal government taking over many parts and pieces under this public health emergency declaration. But the implications on our civil liberties 
um, you know, were really unfounded. And so this is, this is really going to – this is set a precedence of what I think is a very um, – a very problematic standard that's been set in, the, in beyond just the slippery slope of, of our civil liberties, I, you know, it's concerning. And I think the word you are looking for is control. And I think that's the problem because the way that the progression of our country is happening, especially accelerated under the Biden administration, and believe me, it didn't start or stop with President Biden. This has been going on for a very long time. We saw this under the Obama administration this centralization of power taking away from the republic that was written for us and it's con continuing to, to grow out of that and it's very problematic because the control that a group of a few people have over the people means that you know while we say you know well is my vote really going to count well when you have you know this administrative agencies have control without accountability to the people Department of Justice, Department of Education, the issues going on with indoctrination, and the inability to be able to push back, question, have your voice silenced without respect to our constitutional rights and our First Amendment, this is a big problem, right? This is beyond, you know, just a public health emergency. You know, this is beyond the indictment, you know, of a former sitting president. This truly is rewriting the way of our governance of our country and we all have to be nervous i think in terms of what's going on to completely rewrite our constitution uh and i think that's the bigger picture ticket you know whether it's to repeal the second amendment silence your voices over the first amendment uh and have complete disregard of what the principles of our constitution gave us and our civil liberties uh, boy, oh boy, there's something bigger going on here, something nefarious, um, and I think every citizen needs to wake up uh, and be concerned. Well, I just had a very amusing thought, not so amusing, but product, kind of truthful. As an attorney, you'd appreciate this, and my sister happens to be an attorney too. Um, but it's called the equal protection under the law. So right now, there is no equal protection under the law for those who uh, have the affiliation with conservatism, Christianity, Republicans, compared to those that are atheists. Uh, liberal uh, Democrats. So now Trump can say he's not getting equal protection under the law because if the Democrats could hide documents and hold them in their garage or as as Biden admitted on camera, had them since 1974, uh, then why isn't he being prosecuted? I'm sorry. I'm being discriminated against. I'm being triggered. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the uh, hypocrisy of the system that's been created. It's it's just beyond you know beyond the pale. Uh, but you're right. If you are a conservative, you hold less weight in this country right now. You know, your voice doesn't matter uh, according to these big tech uh, and and the administration. It's it's, it's quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. <laughs> You know, it, it, we're finding that the protection of the law is being removed uh, and then being placed in the hands of those who really should not have control of it. And you in the healthcare field should understand this better than anyone else because you see this every single day with the indoctrination of our children under these new healthcare teachings in our school. 
where the children are saying, well, mom, you can't tell mommy and daddy. You know, your guidance counselor, your teacher, or the school nurse know better. And then allowing these children to have medical procedures done, medications given to them without the knowledge of the parent. Now, as a health lawyer, you're, you're, that's your specialty. What happens to the protections of the parent to protect that child from harm? How do do the parents go about protecting themselves if we can't even get the former president of the United States to protect himself from usurpation of power by the other side? You know, know, it's funny because we we jest, right? But I I think, you know, if Donald Trump at this point wants to be treated equally, he might have to identify under a protected class or under like an LGBTQ status, you know, imagine. Uh, And and they'd be uh, turned on their heads, right? They wouldn't know what to do. But, you know, this is the hypocrisy that's been written, and you're 100% correct, right? Uh, If you're a minor, you can't drive. You can't vote. You know, you can't uh, necessarily go uh, and get uh, birth control or you can't. You, there's so many things that you can't there's do. No, because no informed consent. No informed consent. There's, because the, the state and the government has made, uh, you know, a conscientious decision to say that you don't have what we call the mens rea. You don't have the ability to be able to appropriately consent because you're not mature enough to develop that. Unless now, however, we have somehow written an exception to the rule to say if you mentally think you're a different gender, then physically the state can get involved, and by state I mean through the school system or others, to allow you to, I don't know, transition, uh, to physically transition, even though your mental state may be different, this is, it's, again, and hiding that from parents, I think, is the scariest proposition. As a father of three, I got to tell you, I mean, I would be livid as so many parents are right now when these things happen behind their back. We send our children to school to be able to be facilitated into an educational environment, not to be physically transitioned, not to be, you know, uh, taught things that really belong into you know, teachings in your community, your your religious institutions, and others. We go them so that they can be competent in our core classes, science, math, uh, you know, history. And yet, when you compare our American students to the rest of the world, they continue to perform poorly against less funded countries. Poorly. Now, think about that. We spend per capita, I don't know, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, per student in this country where other countries spend a fraction of that cost. And when you're talking about global standard tests, American children continue to perform subpar and very low compared to these other countries. How did we even get there? You know, many of these kids don't even know that we live in a republic. They don't understand the history. Uh, Yet they know that if they come out, um, or identify under LGBTQ or whatnot, that they'll get special treatment, special protection. Uh, they'll get attention, uh, frankly. And, and it's a scary proposition, you know, that the government is being supplanted for parents. You know, uh, we need partners, not parents. We have parents, uh, and parental rights seems to have been eviscerated 
uh, and, and in a very escalated manner, uh, in fact, I mean, the, the, the day Biden took office and the administration that had an agenda that put him into office came in uh, and literally took this over. Now, I have absolutely no issue with the LGBTQ community, none of that. This conversation literally has to do with minors who can't make decisions on how to drive and how to vote and so many other things. They can't contract, literally. They, cannot, they do not have the mental capacity to contract, and yet they're being transitioned and started on medical interventions without parental consent. It's, the, again, part of the biggest hypocrisy that's going on in our country, and every parent should be alarmed. This is, has nothing to do with political affiliation. Uh, and to your original point about Donald Trump, I mean, that's exactly right. It's an unequal application of the Equal Protection Act to the detriment of society that's literally being, that's literally pinning people against each other and creating the biggest and greatest divide among Americans, I think, frankly, we've ever seen. Well, now here's the next transition, and now catch this. We're talking about the age of consent and about being able to drive and buy alcohol and nada, yada, yada, yada. Well, now we have someone who supports the LBGTQXYZ community, and I'm not being facetious, but I don't even know what letters are there anymore. And I do have friends that are on the other side, and, hey, they're, they're sweet, they're wonderful, I love them dearly, we'll sit down, have drinks, and share a meal together. I have no problem with that. But don't force it on me. However, that said, uh, Gavin Newsom out in Gruesome Newsom in California is calling for a 28th Amendment. And one of these things is raising the age to purchase a firearm from, drumroll, 18 to 21. And yet you can turn around and change my gender at the age of four and five. See, this is this is exactly exactly what I'm. Well, you know, and I love it because you know this is what the problem is. Like you said, it's it's a hypocritical approach. It's it's hypocrisy at its finest. It's two tier system, and now you're talking about a 28th amendment, which in effect would repeal the Second Amendment. That's exactly what you know the concern has been is that we're literally rewriting our constitution, our constitutional rights. I just, you know, it's it's beyond me. Like, now, who is Governor, you know, like you said, Newsom? I mean, honestly, he's a man who's driven a state completely into the ground. If you look at the amount of debt that California has, the cost of living, the homelessness, you know, you just had a major, the largest hotelier in San Francisco say, you know what, we're done. Twitter has moved out. Uh, you know, Elon Musk has moved Tesla out of California. Major companies are leaving fleeing. They can't get out of California fast enough, right? Physically, geographically, beautiful state, beautiful weather. No one can afford to live there. It's run so poorly. I, I just and, – and he's more focused on, on what? You know, changing access to guns? Is that yeah. it? I mean, yeah. it, it's, oh, but it's just, we've got it's the, the Canada – we also got the Canada Fire coming down the West Coast into California too. So yeah, yeah. So we don't we don't have any major problems. Oh yes, that's right. The ports, the ports. They're going on strike, so we can't get our goods and services to come back over into our nation. Just like the start of the pandemic, isn't that interesting? Just before the election, we had the same crisis we had just at the start of the pandemic. We can't get our ships to drop off the cargo to come across these great United States and into our home living rooms. Wonderful. 
And isn't it sad, though? The sad truth is that none of this will affect the influx of opioids in, through our borders either or, or uh, you know, migrants who've co- crossed illegally. So our regulations keep our um, honest goods out, and yet we've, we're doing nothing to stop, you know, illegal goods from coming in, right? And if you look at the death rates, never mind gun violence, the death rates to opioids far exceeds that of, of gun rates. Mental health, when you combine suicide rates, especially in teens, and you look at the incident rates of mental health, and then you look at its, you know, opioids and its contribution to all of that, you're talking talking about a worse epidemic uh, than than what they're talking about with, you know, guns. And, and honestly, these proposals would not even reduce the number of uh, deaths associated with the use of guns when you don't do anything to look at mental health and the increasing rise in mental health in this country. And so, you know, again, these are just like paper straw houses of politics that they continue to build to try to get the votes from talking points, but it does not meaningfully change the actual trajectory of our poor public health infrastructure that's deteriorated under the Biden administration. And Governor Newsom would just continue to further that. You know, if he turns America uh, into California, we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rick, we've got to have you back on because there's so much more to talk about and so many more areas we can delve into. Because I can think back to as a, a young kid, my mom would send me to the doctor. You'd walk several blocks down to the doctor's office and whether or not you could pay or not, you worked it out. You didn't have a health insurance company between you and your doctor. And hey, if it's $35, you pay off $5 a week, no problem. Uh, But we don't have that anymore. We actually have hospitals now turning away patients because they can't afford to pay, which I thought we changed that in the 1970s. Uh, But, Rick, again, you talked about the immigration crisis coming across the border. We're worried about global warming and preserving our environment. What is the destruction we're seeing at the border and the trash and and everything else that's coming across the border, Uh, the diseases? Uh, We can go on and on. On and on and on for hours here, Rick. You know that. I do. I do. So much ground to cover. And don't even get me in with China and the Wuhan lab. <laughs> I'll get banned on YouTube again. <laughs> That's right. Well, again, we got to get more Americans to step up to save our country. You know, there's a lot of nefarious actors that really have their own personal interests at stake, and, and we got to do this for the people. And this goes beyond political policies, politics, race, religion, creed, you know, this truly is about, you know, saving America and saving Americans. Yeah, and we are at the cusp right now, and if we don't take action, we will forever lose our country. And you've got young kids. I've got nieces and nephews. My fiancé has grandkids. Um, The the children coming up behind us are not going to know the freedoms we have let slip through our fingers. We've got to take them back now and teach them what we're handing down to them so that they too can preserve it. God bless you, Rick. Where can people find you if they want to, you know, have a conversation with you? Absolutely. You can always find me on the social medias. Go to rickmeda.com, Rick Meda, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Well, take care. Enjoy your evening, uh, your week, your weekend. And next week, happy Father's Day. God bless. Oh, thank you. God bless you too. 
All right. Check him out, rickmeda.com. Uh, we're waiting for uh, uh, Dan Perkins to give us the next call in. But uh, we're having a lot of fun here today, aren't we? Uh, oh, yeah. I'm learning a lot. And um, as we know, <clears throat> the world is still going dark, <laughs> especially here yeah, in the United States. So it's um, it's just, I don't know, it's not like the country that I, I grew up in anymore. It's scary. It's um, I don't know. I guess that's maybe how the the German uh, citizen felt with the rise of Hitler. You know, a change, the yeah. mood, the whole country mood was different. You know, when the government starts yeah. taking measures to to infringe upon your rights and to take away some of your rights, you know something's up. Well, they have been doing that little bit by little bit, and we have allowed them to do that. And it's time we put our foot down, and the line in the sand is here and now. Um, So I'm sending Dan a a little message just to let him know to give a call in, uh, because I know he gets involved in other stuff. Speaking of Uh, showtime, we have that lot of lightning and thundering in the background here. I don't know if you can hear it. Well, it's going from north to south, so it passed by us just a little while ago. So uh, it's coming through to you at this point. Oh, you uh, sent but down this uh, Yeah, we're, we're sending it. We're shooing it down, you know. <laughs> it, actually, I there think it may be oh. being pushed. I think it's being well, pushed because if I looked at the, the lines, uh, of course, the uh, weather map this morning, uh, that cloud that's coming from Canada down through the eastern seaboard is now pushing down towards D.C., so D.C. is getting the, the darkness. So it's going to be pushing whatever weather because that is a actually a solid front. So any weather that's going to be in front of it is going to be pushing it south, south, southward. So you and I are probably going to see some more rain because you get dirt like that in the air. It's also going to generate more rain. So buckle up, baby. We're in for a couple of storms oh, for the next couple I, of days. I'd rather get through the rain than that smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully that rain will wash the smoke out of the air. Mm. But waiting, like I said, for Dan to call in. I just sent him a text, so hopefully he'll do this right now. Um, But I was mentioning this article that I came across. I thought it would be very interesting with uh, Dr. Mehta. uh, That hundreds of millions of our tax dollars went to recipients in China and Russia over the last couple of years without being tracked by our federal government. Oh, whoa. Oh, did you know our federal government was supposed to track our tax dollars that go overseas? Did you know that that was that would be a responsible thing to do, don't you think so, uh, Curtis? Well, I'm not surprised. Um, look at all this money that's being funneled to illegals. They don't, they don't mm-hmm. even belong. And we do have a, you know, we do have a system in place for people to come here and protocols to follow follow but they're they're spending all this money on um sheltering these um illegals they're educating them they've got health issues that our our taxpayers dollars are paying for and you know it's it's all unlawful and unconstitutional and i just wish somebody had the backbone to hold these folks up to the oath that they took to serve and protect mm-hmm. and, and, you know, defend the Constitution. And they're doing everything but that. It's, it, there needs to be consequences, you know, and there never is. Yeah. So 
why shouldn't they go on to the next, you know, thing they want to achieve? You know, we can do it and get away with it. Well, we, uh, we've let them get away with it. But thankfully, because Open the Books, our, fr- our friend uh, Adam Adraginski, and there's also now a White Coat Waste Project, WCWP. And we've got to find out about that one. That, is, uh, that sounds like something interesting. We should get them on the show also. That they've dis- discovered dozens of other grants that weren't counted on the federal government's USAspending.gov internet database. So... Uh, Joni Erst, Senator Joni Erst, has been uncovering these things, including a Russian lab to test cats on treadmills. Now, I've got seven cats. Do you think I can probably send my cats over to Moscow to have a speed test done on them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But Ernst and her staff were working with auditors at the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, and the Congressional Research Service, as well as the two nonprofits, you know, Open the Books and White Coast Waste Project. I really do want to know more yeah. about that. And she found $1.3 billion, that's with a B, a billion, and that's just the tip of the iceberg the GAO has reported. Uh, among the new discoveries were $4.2 million to China, the infamous Wuhan Lab, the Institute of Vi, Vi- you know what, uh, to conduct an experiment on the bat coronaviruses and transgenetic mice. Do you know what that is? That's gain-of-function. No. That's gain-of-function okay. research. Yeah, COVID. Okay. Uh, right. Here she says that, yes, it is uh, extensive uh, gain-of-function research by the Chinese scientists, which it funded in whole or part prior to the COVID-19 pandemic by the NIH, the National Institute of Health. Now, I reported on this one uh, right about the time the pandemic uh, came out, where I listed a bunch of individuals, U.S. citizens, including the Gates Foundation, that donated to the NIH, and those donations went to the Wuhan lab. There was a whole list of donors that I had. I, I don't know if I can dig it up. I may have accidentally thrown it away with, well, I don't always keep my show notes. Um, but I know if we do a web search, we can see a list of people that donated to the Wuhan lab between, I believe it was 2012 to 2020. There was a list. And it was a, it was a six to eight year list on there. And, yeah, it was the Soros Foundation, the Gates Foundation. There was a whole lot of these big mucky mucks that are on the left side of the mm-hmm. fence that donated to the National Institute of Health, who then in turn took those very funds and sent them over to uh, questionable laboratories throughout the world, the main one being the Wuhan um, Institute for Biology. Uh, all right, and there was also had seven grants totaling more than 4.1 uh, million from the NIH to Echo Health to study various aspects, and this is where it goes back to prior to 2016. And I do remember this on the list: study various aspects of SARS and MERS. SARS and MERS is part of the coronavirus. It's another version of the coronavirus. I'm sorry. Here we go. Uh, YouTube, are you going to take me down right here or now? Are you going to wait until like next week? Just letting you know we're talking about this. Now, 
Another part of the U.S.-funded grant included a purchase for medical research of 425 dogs in China. These are countryside dogs in China that are part 425 for medical research. These are part of the farmer's household. These dogs were used mostly for guarding. And their diets included boiled rice, discarded raw food, animal tissues, and whatever the dogs could forage. Yet these dogs were sold for food, an NIH study discovered. All right? Now, other previously unreported grants exposed by Joni Air's team include $1.6 million to Chinese companies from our federal government, our national school lunch program. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Our national school lunch program monies are being sent over to China. I, I thought this was supposed to be for the poor kids in our schools to help them have a healthy meal so they can have good mental acuity and good physical health so they can, be, they can study and be good students and become good productive members of our society. But these funds, our taxpayer dollars to go to your local school lunch program were being funneled $1.6 million to China, to Chinese companies from our federal government. Another $4.7 well, we, we million. Of the world, I guess. Hmm? Yep. Another $4.7 million of our money, our tax, our tax money, for health insurance. These are funds that were put aside for health, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, whatever, for health insurance for our people here in the United States, our citizens. And, oh, yeah, by the way, yes, now it is including our illegal aliens. But our tax dollars for people here in the United States for health insurance to a Russian company that was sanctioned by the United States in 2022, in just last year, sanctioned just last year as a result of the invasion to the Ukraine. Folks, this is your tax dollars at work, courtesy of the Biden administration. Nice. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And I don't think they gave up on the, this single-payer system either. They're working on mm-hmm. that as we you know, speak. Um, I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons why um, Obama stayed behind in Washington, D.C., is to run the Democrat Party. You know, most presidents, they, they you know, go out to their ranch or whatever and just live their lives, you know, looking over the sunset until it's time mm-hmm. for their sunset to come down. But this guy remained active. And I think he's behind a lot of what's going on in the Biden administration, if you want to ask me, him and his um, minion. Well, this is a perfect example of our legislative body um, abrogating their responsibilities to minions, to government bureaucrats set up in offices and agencies that there is no oversight or control on. This has to stop. This is unconstitutional. The power of the purse lies within the House. And we've got to turn around and tell them to start start to cut those purse strings. Now, Senator Ernst, along with Representative Mike Gallagher, who's Republican out of Wisconsin, um, the chairman of the House Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese, Chinese Communist Party, 
Ernst and Gallagher together are introducing legislation to require federal officials to go much deeper in tracking funding going to Russia and Chinese recipients. I would go one step further. And let's not just limit it to Russian and Chinese. Let's track every dollar that goes overseas. How much money are we sending to Cuba? How much money are we sending to Colombia, Venezuela, um, to Italy? I got to England. How much are we sending to Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia? What are they using it for? We should know where every single tax dollar goes and what it's used for and whether that's being used against us or to help us. And this is, should be the sole responsibility of our government, not to give away tax dollars willy-nilly to find out whether or not how fast cats can run on a treadmill. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't we have that with uh, tracking the Chinese uh, uh, doing lab work to see how fast shrimp run on a treadmill? So now we've graduated from shrimp up to cats. But we're, we're, our tax dollars, and oh, no, wait a minute, our government, we can't balance the budget, so we're going to go broke unless we raise the debt ceiling, which includes, uh, along the way, increasing our taxes, because the IRS is now going to start auditing all the poor little guys. They're not going to audit the billionaires and millionaires. It's easier to get blood out of the stone with the IRS because they know they can jail you and you can't protect yourself because you can't afford the attorney. So no matter what, you'll go into hock just to pay the IRS. I'm going on a rant here. You, you, you sense that well, now, Curtis, aren't you? you? Yeah, you're right when you say our Congress has to uh, reclaim their roles and responsibilities um, as uh, representatives of the people because um, it's been a while couple of decades when they abdicated their um, authority and, and responsibilities and turned it over to the, the bureaucracy. And that's why we have, you know, um, the EPA telling us what to do and the educational department telling us what to do and the FBI and stuff because Congress, they wash their hands of this. You know, they can say, well, it wasn't mm-hmm. us, but we have to uh- put put the light under their, their tushes and, uh, you know, get them to to the job they were sent there to do. And that's to represent yep. us and to um, serve this country in its best interest and to protect the Constitution well, and our rights. Well, if anyone was watching on the video and they saw me lean back on my little chair and look out the window, I was looking to see whether or not an SUV just pulled up into my driveway, <laughs> looking to see if the FBI or the DOJ was coming after me. <laughs> 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 Either that or they send a drone over around your window. Oh man, jeez! Oh, you know, uh, we were talking earlier uh, with uh, Dr. Ridgely uh, about the indoctrination, and there was an article in uh, AMAC magazine, and I recommend, highly recommend this uh, magazine for people uh, to uh, start getting if you are. It doesn't. You don't have to be over the age. It's basically geared for people age of 50 and older, but you really don't have to be um, 50. If you're below, you just let them know you're below 50, and you get an associate membership so that at the time you turn 50, you already know what it's all about. You already get the benefits that we're getting. You're just listed as an associate member until you turn 50. But it's the Association of Mature American Citizens, AMAC. 
And I highly recommend, you know, going over there and signing up for it. Their website is amac.us, and uh, they have fantastic articles. They are in direct competition with AARP. Folks, AARP is the organization that helped push and get us Obamacare. They got us onto this health insurance uh, merry-go-round and that we can't seem to get ourselves off of. And when you go to a doctor and they say, well, you have to go through this hoop and have the insurance company approve you through that hoop and this and that. You know, it's so crazy now. Ever since Obamacare rolled into position and it's been fully augmented, uh, instituted into our, our health care system, I went to contact the surgeon that did my neck surgery. Because earlier this year, just several weeks ago, after I was recovering from the coronavirus, the inflammation in my body was so bad that I could not move my neck or my shoulders. Now, I had my neck fused a number of years ago. And I know that any sort of an infection or inflammation that I do get is going to go to any area in my body that has an artificial part in it. And then my neck is now fused on three levels. I have the shoulder replaced twice. They now call it the second one a revision. Same with my knee. So I have to be hyper, hypersensitive to body inflammation and infection. And when I could not move out of my bed, I could not even sit up. And I needed my fiance to come over and help lift me up. And I ended up in the ER. They said, go to the guy who did your surgery. Well, I had not seen him in a number of years, about maybe five. They said, oh, you haven't seen me in five years, so now you have to be a new patient. Excuse me? Because I don't have to come and see you every year. I no longer am being treated as a new patient. Now, this is just... Not too long ago, coronavirus was back in April. Here I am now, June. I can't get in to see him at all. I have to go through weeks of physical therapy before I'm even allowed to go to see him as a new patient, which I think is absolutely acidine, So, which means I have to pay for physical therapy when I probably don't even need it. I just need him to take a look at my neck and say, yeah, you're okay. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Get on with your life. But no, I have to pay for physical therapy before I can go see the surgeon that did the surgery. So now I'm having a problem with my digestive system. And this is a problem I've dealt with a number of times. It's put me in the ER a few times. So I know I have to stick to a certain type of diet and avoid Mm -hmm. heavy uses of antibiotics. And Sue's listening in, so she'll understand diverticulosis and C. diff. And they give you an antibiotic to treat the diverticulosis, which kicks in the C. diff. And you've got to catch 22 on your hands. So I've been having problems. I want to see my gastroenterologist. Uh, Well, you haven't seen him in the last three years. Yeah, but you've been prescribing my medication over the phone, so I didn't have to come into the office. We have to treat you as a new patient. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be able to see you for the next couple of months. I'm in physical pain bending over now. I'm having problems now. I need to see you now. But no, 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 no. So any gastroenterologist I go to, I'm going to be a new patient. So I'm going to have to wait several months to be treated by a doctor that has already seen me, has my medical records, can go to the hospital, pull up the medical records, bing, bang, boom, you're done. 15 minutes, bye, out the door. Change your medication here, change your diet here, just do this or that, and you're fine. But this new medical system they put into place is meant to tie the patient's hands. 
to frustrate you, to confound you. Of course. And who benefits? The insurance company. The insurance company is going to benefit from this because you're going to keep on paying your premiums because in order to see your surgeon, you have to see the therapist first. In order to see a gastroenterologist, you're going to have to go see your GP and get a referral to the gastroenterologist who already has all your medical records. All he has to do is just sit down and talk to you. That would be too simple. But getting back to to AARP, getting back to AARP, because I want to make a comment on that. that's where we started, yes. (laughs) That's where we started, AARP, who gave us Obamacare. (laughs) they They are so ingrained in our society that People start, they start getting these AARP um, notices and stuff um, in the mail at age 55. And it's almost like a, a rite of passage, you know. Well, you know, I turned 55, got to get my AARP benefits. And I, I noticed that a lot of people don't know that there's a, a competitor out there to AARP, which is AMAC. So I don't know what AMAC is doing to to promote who they are, but I'm telling you, AARP is on it all the time, nonstop. I mean, they catch you when you're 55 or even a few years before that and start telling you about the benefits and this and that and the other and making it sound like you, 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 you know, you're welcome or, you know, we, we're ready to welcome you in and all this. So I fight against this all the time. I tell people, look, AARP is not your friend, you know. It's no, just, no. Like you said, they help um, sponsor and um, support Obamacare. I tell them you need to look they, into they sponsor and support. They, they sponsor and support a lot of left-leaning issues. Now, here's too, just an example. Yeah. In, this, in this month's issue, uh, their, their main feature is a generation at risk, how the radical left is destroying American youth. This is AMAC magazine. Um, another one, ESG, the equity, social, and governance policies that are now ruining most pension plans. They write ESG, putting politics over pensions. Um, yeah. Here, another one, common sense fix to deliver primary care to low-income Americans. And again, another article, explosive federal growth must stop. This is the AMAC magazine. I'm going to hold up in front of the camera for people to see. AMAC.us. I suggest you subscribe to it. And they don't cost as much as AARP. And, yes, they have the other benefits in there, like if you want to buy gold coins or life insurance or take a trip. Yes, they have all the other benefits in there, too. Um, They also offer for dental, for vision, and they also offer the very same things that AARP does, but they don't yeah. push the left agenda on you. As a matter of fact, I think, Curtis, I'm going to reach out to them to see if they want to bring in as a guest on the show and talk about their magazine and get a broader coverage for them out there and become a spokesman That's for them. Because I've, I've been pushing it on there. I even got my mom on to AMAC. I said, tear up your AARP so she no longer gets AARP. She's going to be 91 next month. <laughs> and AARP, wow. you lost a 91-year-old lady <laughs> because her daughter wow. showed her the right way. That's the, the wrong right way. way. 
Yes, that is, that is a very long life. I don't know what happened to our friend Dan Perkins. Something must have happened, and I'll have to reach out to him later on and ask Danny Perkins. I only spoke to him just last night uh, for a while on the phone, and then he confirmed that he'd be calling in this morning, so something must have happened. So we will find out and get him back on the show, absolutely. But uh, as well, I was saying, he's in our this new thing in. Yeah, 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 he's in Florida. He's not too far from you there, Curtis. Well, okay, not too far so from you. it's not a time zone issue. All right. No, no, it's not. No, no, he's in the same time zone as we are. And uh matter of fact, he's got a series of books that they may be making into a a uh, series. It deals with terrorism, uh, and it's excellent books. I've read, I think I've missed the very last one that he's got out. I've got all, just about all of them. And if they make this into an action series, it'd be really fantastic. He also has another one. If I don't remember if you remember uh, a couple of years ago, we were talking about why doesn't Grammy remember me dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's in our elderly society, and how um, as our our society ages more, we're going to see more of this occurring in those like my mom. You know, um, I even see some in myself. Sometimes I walk into the room two or three times and go, what the heck did I walk in here for? <laughs> and I, I walk this. out. You know that feeling. <laughs> and it's like three seconds but, you know, before that you had um, <laughs> on your mind what you wanted to do or look for, and then yeah. three seconds, it's like, okay, well, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the other day. The other day, I was running around like a nut and doing various things, and I pulled in the driveway, not even thinking. I run into the house. My mom goes, did you bring the mail in? Oh, no, no, I forgot. I'll go back out. And I start to head for the door, and something happens, and it distracts me. Next thing I know, I'm on the other end of the house. And about two hours later, she goes, did you go get the mail yet? No. All right. I start to head for the door. I swear this was like the fourth time I'm heading for the door. And I get distracted one more time, whether it's a phone call or something else happens. I don't know. Fourth time, and I just did not get the mail. So Omar and I decide to go out for the evening for dinner and for a couple of cocktails. She goes, oh, by the way, when you come home, can you bring the mail in the house? (laughs) Yeah. I've done that before. Sometimes I just let it sit till the next day when the mail carrier comes by. Oh, jeez. You just can't make this stuff up. You really, really can't make this stuff up. No. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. But um, I'm sorry. I haven't been paying a lot to the chat rooms because we've been doing so much others. But uh, I want to say Sasquatch made a very, very good point. Uh, when we were talking earlier about uh, children not being able to give an informed consent, uh, when we were talking with uh, Dr. Uh, Meta, um, he wrote, if you want to get your ear pierced or in some places bring a legal drug to school, you need written parental, written parental permission. But if you want gender transition, your parents don't even need to know. That's a true story. That is a friggin' true story. I mean, um, I remember where the nurses couldn't even give you an aspirin. And yet they can turn around and give you the hormones to start gender transitioning if you're a minor in some school district. Or talk to you about and, getting an abortion. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And don't Absolutely. dare tell your parents. You know, and this is something I thought about, and it's rather poignant if you think about this. Um, if you look at the left agenda, they're the pro-choice. They're believing in that you have the right to rip the life of a, a preborn baby from a woman's womb in the name of the woman having autonomy over all aspects of her body when carrying another human life. I'm sorry, these are two human lives you're talking about. And the woman has been given the care and as a guardian of that other human life. And it should only be in extreme, extreme circumstances that that life should be terminated, only under the most extreme circumstances. And that's my personal opinion. That's my religious belief. Um, If anything, that life should be preserved at all costs. But yet, the radical left believes there should be, even, even if the child has already been born, that you have the right to terminate that child's life. This is the same left. That if they cannot rip that child from the womb of that woman, if they cannot commit, commit that abortion, that child aside, that frat aside, then if they can't get a hold of that child and ruin that child's life and destroy it, then as a young child in our school system, public school system, they now have the right to alter that child's life forever and rip it from your loving arms by altering it through perversion, by taking away its ability to be a a parent by altering its gender before it even enters puberty. So if they cannot rip that child's life from you in an abortion, they will rip it from your arms by forever alienating it with you in your family. We've got our next guest in on the line, and we'll give uh, Curtis a second to bring him back in. But this this is something to it. If they cannot take your child before it's born, they will take it from you after it's born. So let's welcome back onto the show. We've missed him for the last month. Welcome back, stranger, Mark Tapscott. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm good, Annie. How are you? And what crazy things have happened since we've been on air in D.C.? Holy moly, (laughs) has the world started to explode the last couple of days. I pulled off articles to start talking to you about a couple of days ago, and I just threw them up in the air this morning. It's like, all right, Mark, I'm just going to let you go <laughs> and have yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah all, all, um, all bets are off. This is, uh, this is a whole new world with the Trump indictment and the absence of a Biden indictment. Uh, I like the way you said that, the absence of the Biden indictment. I like that yeah. one. Well, I mean, it's – go ahead. Well, uh, you think about it, it's like uh, Joe Biden admits to as far back as 1974 maintaining control of classified documents and never turning them over. He admits it on camera, which they played the clip last night on Newsmax. Uh, We have it where Obama has, ooh, accidentally took some documents home. Bill Clinton, Bubba, had them in his sock drawer. Uh, Hillary Clinton had her – on her smart device, but, oh, she accidentally uh, uh, erased it. Oh, what do you mean, with a washcloth? I mean, we can name it. Even George W. Bush had doc- classified documents when he left office. It has happened and it has never, ever, ever in the history of our nation been classified. At worst, it's a fine. Yep. Yep, you're right. And let's just stipulate that Trump is 
guilty as he can possibly be, as the indictment has charged. Let's just stipulate that he's convicted. Okay, when are the others going to be indicted and tried? Because as you just pointed out, um, Bill Clinton had uh, classified audio tapes in his sock drawer. Um, Barack Obama took hundreds and hundreds of documents for his library. Um, Hillary Clinton poured bleach, whatever that stuff is that she used to destroy oh, uh, beach some blit. part of 30. Beach, beach, yeah. Yeah, beach blit. Yeah, oh, right. Beach bit. Right. One of those things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and what it did is it destroyed 32,000 emails, at least some of which were classified are concerned classified documents, or may have had classified documents attached to them. We don't know. Uh, and we'll never know because we'll never see them. Um, you know, and 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 now here we are with, with Biden. He's got documents laying in his garage by his Corvette. He's got documents in the Penn Biden Center. He's got documents uh, in Delaware. You know, where else does he have documents? The bottom line here is even if, Trump is guilty, and, and, you know, we don't know. We'll have to see what happens if uh, this process goes forward. But even if he is guilty, that still leaves the, the question, the, the profound doubt that people in America and growing doubt that people have about uh, a double system of justice. There's one set of rules for the Democrats and another set of rules entirely for the Republicans. And that that absolutely that that cannot continue. That simply cannot continue, and us maintain a uh, republic. Oh, and I, and what I say that as saying, a journalist. Yeah, I, I, well, I, that, I said that from the journalist. start of the show. Yes, but we we had it from every single guest. The first thing is they're destroying the republic with this prosecution. And never in the history of the nation has a sitting president ever been indicted. And not just indicted, but indicted on basically the same charges, you know, uh, you know, uh, hiding documents or uh, hiding a payoff. You know, these are things that are a slap on the wrist, a fine. And yet they bring them up to a felony level where he may face up to 20 years in prison. Now, how do you place a sitting president behind prison bars? What do you do with his Secret Service? Do they have to do time with him, too, even though they may, they did no crime? That's quite a scenario you just outlined. <laughs> um, and it's, but but that, that illustrates the absurdity to which we may be subjected as a result of this process. Because, you know, if if Trump does manage to get the Republican nomination, and does somehow win the election, um, he could be inaugurated in spite of having been convicted. So, yeah, there's nothing there in, in the Constitution, nothing in the Constitution that says that if you're convicted of a felony, that you can't be president. Is there? Well, and in, in any case, even if there is a conviction, and, and there's a very great possibility that the trial won't even reach a verdict until after the election, which is pretty important. But even mm-hmm. if there is a verdict and he's found guilty before the election, you know he's going to appeal it. So, And, and if he wins, the uh, special prosecutor will 
you know, he won't be able to retry him on the same charges, but he probably has something up his sleeve for a second shot at him. Who knows? Jack yeah, Smith well, is speaking Rick, right now. Oh, jeez. Uh, I forgot that he was the one that prosecuted the Abner Luima uh, uh, assault over in uh, New York City Police Department. Um, yeah, it was this Charles uh, Schwartz. Charles Schwartz was convicted of the assault on Abner Louiba. And I was reading the New York Times article last night that they quickly slapped together. And I was trying to remember because I retired in '96, so it was a year after, almost a year to the day after I retired um, that this occurred. And um, I'm thinking back to the time it was. And I'm saying there's something wrong with this prosecutor. Something just wasn't sitting right. But when New York Times put their article together, they said he was an inmate. At the time, Abler Luima was assaulted. No, he had simply been arrested. And they were processing the arrest when the assault occurred. He was not an inmate. So they're trying to make it sound like it was a lot more than it was at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just they were they, a lot of the facts did not quite jive in the New York Times article. So I was thumbing through them earlier today. Uh, but he, this guy doesn't have that great a conviction record, though. Well, and he has an 8-0, eight, eight to zero, a unanimous U.S. Supreme Court that reversed his prosecution of uh, the former governor of, of Virginia. Uh, I believe right. he has uh, another prosecution that was um, political nature that was reversed, uh, not by the Supreme Court, but by, <clears throat> by another court, I think. And the, the, the bottom line here, Annie, at least in my view as a journalist, and, and this is a fact now, this is not simply my opinion, um, there are profound questions of uh, whether or not every American citizen can expect equal treatment under the law. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that is the issue at stake. Yeah, we were uh, we were clowning around earlier uh, with one of our guests. Uh, both two of them were both attorneys. Um, that it, it's not equal protection under the law unless you are of a special class. So if you are a conservative, a Christian conservative, Republican, or if you are a liberal, atheist, Democrat, there's two separate sets of laws that will be applied to you. Uh, so the joke was, well, maybe Trump should join the LBGT community so he gets equal protection under the law. I mean, we can make a joke of it, but this is what we are facing right now. Look at the January 6th prisoners still. Uh, yeah. You're supposed to have a speedy trial, which means within 70 days in a federal court system. And they have been sitting there now going on two years. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the same Department of Justice that – um, has sent squat teams to arrest a uh, pro-life father who was protecting his 10-year-old son who was being apparently accosted by um, one of these abortion clinic um, protectors, security guards, whatever they are. Um, and they, the FBI sent a SWAT team to arrest the guy early in the morning. He's got seven or eight children. Um, they were all scared to death because the FBI, you know, came barging in with guns drawn and so forth. It's the same DOJ, Department of Justice, that uh, declares parents that 
protests at school board meetings to be domestic terrorists. It's the same, you know, Department of Justice slash FBI um, that we now know um, has been, uh, according to whistleblowers, credible whistleblowers. And trust me, I've dealt with a lot of whistleblowers in my journalism career. And um, the ones that we're hearing from now regarding the FBI are very credible. Uh, but we know that the FBI has manufactured false data about um, domestic terrorism. So, you know, most Americans have doubts about whether or not they can believe or trust our government. That's the fundamental issue at stake here. Yeah, and it's an incredible doubt, too, because <clears throat> we're now we're seeing that even some Democrats are starting to move over the, on the other side of the aisle when they say, maybe you do have a point here. Uh, maybe we should be looking seriously at the Department of Justice and the FBI. Uh, maybe we are seeing a violation of Americans' rights, a violation of the Constitution uh, rampantly and wantonly. Well, you know, it's, it's one of the things that strikes me about this situation, and it, it did, did so immediately yesterday when I first heard that the indictment, um, when Trump confirmed the indictment, uh, it was on the same day as um, Comer and both the Democrats and the Republicans on the um, House Oversight Committee uh, got a look at the uh, Form 1023, which is the form that uh, Comer and Senator Grassley and, and others have been, you know, the FBI has been refusing to, to uh, reveal. Drum roll. Uh, they finally got Drum a look roll. at it. And they finally got a look at it. And <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it, it is at least uh, a credible allegation that the then vice president of the United States was taking a bribe from a foreign uh, individual. And what, that, that, that's, they've known about this since at least 2020. What have they been doing mm-hmm. on that? Um, you know, you, you don't just let it sit you 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 do something about it, and you draw some conclusions about what further should be done, if anything. And the FBI refuses to discuss that. Yeah, I mean, they have. They were reading segments of it yesterday. Marjorie Taylor Greene was going over some of it, where it looks like Burisma, the Ukrainian company, had funneled five million dollars with Hunter Biden up to Daddy Dear. Uh, and they have credible evidence with an FBI informant that is still an active informant, an active member of the investigation team. And we have actual reason to file an indictment against Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, a sitting president in the United States, and his son that took a, a bribe from a foreign entity. But what were the documents that were found in Biden's care that were highly classified? Dealt with Ukraine, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Or am I hearing mm-hmm. this wrong? Yeah. <clears throat> let me let me let me throw something out just to think about. Uh-oh. The national security the national security agency. Uh, if you or I have a telephone conversation, um, and probably if we have an email conversation with um, somebody overseas. If it's a telephone conversation, you can be sure the NSA knows about it and has uh, a transcript of it, if they so desire. 
what if there is a transcript somewhere in the NSA archives of Hunter Biden talking to this Burisma ex, uh, executive negotiating the deal? Just think about it. Gee, do you think that'll come to light just as as the falsification of his firearms permit comes to life? Hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Although there were whispers of a possible investigation further into lying under oath with Hunter Biden. But how far is that going to get? I'm sorry. I can spit further than that's going to go. Uh, but, it, again, it's a law for thee and not for me. Or it's the other yeah. way around. The law? The other way around. Whatever. There you go. Yeah, yeah. the other way around. <clears throat> but, well, listen, you know, it, we, it is we are whole- going to have – we are going to have an awful lot to talk about in the days ahead. Um, unfortunately, I am uh, being summoned at the moment. <laughs> I must go. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. People can find you over the Epic Times, and God bless you, and we'll be talking to you soon. Yes, we will, do, we will definitely keep doing this, Annie. Okay, take care. Okay. Mark Tapp's got to check it out. The Epic dot com. Oh, and happy right. Father's Day next week. Thank <laughs> okay. you. All right. Um, <clears throat> I wish we had him on a little bit longer because there's so much more yeah. to talk about and so much to, talk, to say. But this indictment is going to be very, very interesting. And I, I find that the way that Alvin Bragg went about indicting Trump and the way Jack Smith is doing it, it is avoiding the need of double jeopardy. Uh, so they're figuring out if they can't get him one way, they're going to get him another. But watch and wait what's going to come out of Georgia. Georgia's going to be the next. And I think the more they go after Trump and the more they, they indict him, the more people are going to get behind him because then they're going to see it for the witch hunt it actually is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, he's the, the figurehead. He's the image. He's the, the face of the conservative um, movement right now and 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 his followers see him as I don't want to say Christ like figure, but he is being persecuted. And I mean I mean with everything they have to throw at him. And that's not gonna bode well for them in the elections, I don't think. Because there's people on the other side who are starting to see that, you know, this is kinda of like really biased. It's over the top here. And and I don't know. I just don't think it's going to work for them in the end. Well, here's here's something that, you know, is it's it slipped everyone past. And I think this ties into everything that's going on right now. And it says a lot to how much this administration wants a watchdog looking over them. Because for um, the last two years, there have been three key watchdog jobs that have been vacant that Biden has not attempted to fill. He's failed to appoint inspector generals at the Department of Treasury and State, as well as the Agency for International Development. I'll say it again, Department of Treasury, Department of State, and the U.S. Agency for International Development. All right. Now, according to Mark's article that I was going to ask him about, uh, these highly visible watchdog jobs remain unfulfilled into Biden's third year. So now it's going three years, and so far he has not tried to make an appointment. And a Democratic senator out of New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, is raising some concerns. So now it's starting to come across the aisle. 
Uh, people on the other side of the aisle are starting to say, well, maybe the Republicans aren't that crazy. Maybe there's something to what they're talking about. So let's maybe start taking a look at it. She's raising concerns. And she chairs the Senate's Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, the permanent subcommittee on investigations. Now, the inspector general uh, in that community conducts essential oversight of federal agencies and programs, and they're supposed to safeguard taxpayer funds and shining the light on waste and fraud and abuse. Now, with these three positions being vacant going on now into the third year, um, it's actually undermining the inspector general's responsibility for carrying out their mandate. So in other words, if something's going on at the Department of Treasury or the Department of State, we're not going to know about it because there's no inspector general doing the oversight. So they can get away with just about anything until there's someone appointed and approved. That's provided that it's someone that the Senate can find palatable. <clears throat> uh, so, so far now, the Department of State has been vacant for over 1,100 days. 11, that's going on three years. That's coming up close to the three-year mark. Uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development, that has been vacant for over 850 days. That's more than two years. The U.S. Department of Treasury, the IG position, has been vacant for almost 1,500, 1, days. 1,500, now there's only 352 days per year. So that's more than three years. More than three well, years, the Department of Treasury has been vacant. Well, you know, Obama left a lot of um, judicial seats um, vacant, and um, I don't know what he was thinking. Unfortunately, Trump was able to fill them, and that worked against the Democrats, and maybe this may work against them too if they, you know, let this go on and a Republican wins in 24 you know, they'll get to uh, seek these vacancies. Well, uh, Senator Comer has also uh, pointed out that there are also three other vacancies that have been uh, vacant for just about as long also, and they include the Inspector General for TARP, Troubled Asset Relief Program. Oh, gee, we, why would we worry about whether or not someone's overseeing the money going into TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program? Hmm, bank failures? Bailouts? Hmm, interesting. National Security Agency, the NSA. Ooh, FISA warrants. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. Hmm, again, bank bailouts? So there's a lot that is this administration wants to keep hidden from us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what happens and let's see if someone starts to hold the feet, the Obama's feet, Obama, Biden's feet to the fire. I don't see that well, happening right. anytime soon. Obama's right. <laughs> oh, Biden, Obama. <laughs> Biden, Obama. <laughs> oh, jeez. But, uh, and the beat goes on and the beat goes on. Ah. So, let me I, ask you okay. this. Did, did Pence officially announce yet? I don't think uh, he has Pence a chance. Announced the other day. 
I, I, I have to I have to laugh. Uh, Sash Scott got me good because I always I'm dyslexic. I honestly will say I am dyslexic because uh, he points out that PS, he said public service announcement. Hill Faith is the organization that Mark Taft Scott founded, and you are correct. Hill Faith, not Faith Hill, who is a singer. <laughs> you got me. My bad. <laughs> I always do it backwards. <laughs> Can't be perfect all the time. Yeah, no. I'm faith. sorry. What were you saying, Curtis? Now. <laughs> oh, I was asking about Prince that he um, announced. You said the other day, but you know he he doesn't stand a chance. No, no. Right now, you've got no. There's, I think, twelve big hitters right now. Um, I know, but it'd be interesting. He's in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Tim Scott. Um, Yeah, Tim Scott also. All right. I can tell you, uh, one place I always go to uh, to see uh, what's going on is politicsone.com. And they will list all the people that have filed, whether or not they set up a um, website or not. Uh, and they try to stay bipartisan, you know, nonpartisan, I should say, nonpartisan. Um, and I find they do a pretty good job. But here we go. Um, holy cow, if you look at the number of people that filed under the Democratic Party, it would cover three pages if I were to print this out. Uh, the latest one to uh, announce is Governor Doug Bergman, uh, Ber- Bergum out of North Dakota, uh, Chris Christie, yes, New Jersey, DeSantis, Florida, Nikki Haley here, South Carolina. She's got a snowball's chance. Uh, former Congressman Will Hurd out of Texas, Asa Hutchinson, former Governor of Arkansas, Brian Kemp, uh, Governor of Georgia, uh, former VP Mike Pence, who also was a governor, people forget, Rick Perry, former Governor of Texas. Vivek Ramswamy, a venture capitalist. Now, I saw him at our South Carolina GOP convention. He was a keynote speaker. Very dynamic. Very, uh, when, he, when he spoke, he spoke of American values, of what America stands for. Watch him in the next four to eight years. Keep an eye on him. He just uh, partnered up with Moms for Liberty. When the South Carolina Poverty Law Association declared Mom for Liberties a hate group, a terrorist group, uh, he gladly stood side by side with them on stage supporting them. Watch this man. Um, Someone made a comment that if I can't spell or pronounce his name, I'm not voting for him. I don't know. I think people nationwide will start to sit up and watch this guy. Uh, He's got a future. He has a definite future in and for the American dream, true American dream, uh, my Senator Tim Scott here out of South Carolina, uh, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, he is the, uh, uh, his family was Cuban refugees. Uh, watch for him. Uh, he will not, you will not see him on DeSantis' ticket. You will not see him on Trump's ticket because it's all out of Florida. And of course, Trump. Uh, the other major one is Governor Glenn Youngkin out of Virginia. And then if you look at the others that are running, holy moly, that list is even longer than the one on the Democratic side. And on the bottom of the list, I just saw, uh, no, that's not, okay, I was looking for someone else. 
But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. If you just go politics one, the number one, uh, not the word one, politics one, and you'll see all the others that have also filed. But the Republicans are saying to get onto the debate stage, you need X amount of dollars uh, from donors in order to make it to the stage, which means you may see only 12 or 16 get up there on the initial stage. Looks like we've got our Heritage Foundation uh, victim. <laughs> Wanna welcome back Hannah Davis of the Heritage Foundation. How are you doing, Hannah? I'm doing good. How are you? All right, and I'm looking for my notes for you and oh my goodness. I have been having a blast with everyone else today because of everything that's been going on the news, uh, with uh Trump indictment and <laughs> everything else going crazy out there. I'm looking yeah, for my it's, notes it's for you. Wild time. What the heck did I do with them? It is a wild time. It is a very wild time. So I'm going to have to go off the top of my head. Holy cow. Um, There was an article recently up on the Heritage Foundation from one of your uh, colleagues. Uh, What did they call it? Oh, shoot. It's it's like a a passport almost, an immigration passport uh, that lets them come across the border. And I'm I'm going to get the article. Uh, Say that again. An affidavit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Why are these things like a worthless piece of paper today? Uh, They mean nothing today. They used to have a meaning, but they don't anymore, do they? No, they don't because you you don't even really need one to get across the border. There's there's no point. Um, My uh, colleague Simon Hankinson actually wrote that piece. Right, right. And I don't know what the heck happened to it. I've been throwing pieces of paper around my desk <laughs> with all my guests, and I don't know which way where it went. But um, it, is, it has become so bad that um, now an illegal alien that comes across the border illegally can sponsor another illegal alien, as I'm understanding it? Yes, yes. Um, basically, the DHS has just been abusing limited immigration uh, this, this thing called parole to bypass the legal system, and they use these affidavits to do so. So that's what that piece was about. Um, and, and, yeah, you can, you can claim a uh, relationship to another illegal alien, and then they'll be able to come with you as well. Uh, I recently wrote a piece that was published Monday about um, how much trash and how much um, environmental damage is done at the southern border because of migrants so believe it or not migrants aren't recycling at the border but they are recycling the people they use to create these familial units and um that kind of plays into (laughs) simon's piece about the affidavits so yeah i was i was watching that uh i'm trying to think of her name now uh oh good lord that swedish girl at the age of nine or ten, they made her the uh, climate change star, starlet. Oh, Greta, uh, Greta, Greta Thornburg. Thank you, thank right? you. She's graduating high school yeah. now, right? So she's she's talking about saving the environment and this and that. And I go, honey, get your butt down here to the southern U.S. border and then talk to me about climate change and damage to the climate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. really? Yeah, the leftist environmentalists are – essentially absent when it comes to addressing the southern border, which is an open contradiction to their environmental principles. You know, the left, they have always said, 
you know, we, we've got Arbor Day, we've got, you know, National Air Weather Day, we've got all these Earth Days, and they, they care so much, you know, clean the oceans, ride your bike to work, that kind of thing, but they don't realize that, you know, for every legal alien that comes across our southern border, they leave about six to eight pounds of trash each. Uh, they don't. They don't at all. And what is amazing is that the date you wrote your article, because I did, I did find it. Ah, yes, I did find it. I got it here in my fat little hands. It's titled Leftist, Leftist Hypocrisy, Failing to Criticize Environmental Disaster of Biden's Open Border, which you wrote on June 6th. Ironically, it is the UN's day that they declared for World Environment Day. Ironically, on June 6th, they declared it environmental, World Environmental Day. What day is that? It is the anniversary of D-Day. And of all days of the year, of the one thing that it affected the entire world, D-Day, the liberation of the world from, terrorism, from, from tyranny, they don't recognize that, the U.N., but they will recognize World Environment Day. They couldn't make it like a week or two later or the week before. No. Same day as D-Day. I found that very ironic. Yeah, there's there's only one D-Day. There's multiple days for World Environment Day. So I, I hadn't made that connection. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So let's concentrate on the environment and feeling touchy-feely good and forget about all the lives that fell that day on the beaches in Normandy. All the men that so bravely gave themselves up, climbing cliffs that seem impenetrable to bring liberty yeah. and freedom to the rest of the world. Yeah, and that's and not the migrants at the border are ruining the cliffs that are there, that are, that are currently there. Um, and no one, you know, the left, they, they care about restoring mountain faces and, and planting trees. And, and, you know, you go on any streaming device and, you know, on World Environment Day, they have all these climate change initiative documentaries they're trying to shove down your throat, but no one cares about it when it comes to the southern border. It's absolutely not spoken about. The only time the left does speak about the environment at the southern border is when they try to halt border wall construction. I've, I've seen really, really, um, pardon my French, but just stupid arguments from the left that say, <laughs> oh, well, the, migra- the migration flights of birds, they'll fly over the border wall. They'll fly over. They they can they can figure it out, and um and and that's the only time it ever comes up when they when they talk about the environment and it's just it's a complete contradiction. If they could just bring that same green gusto to the southern border, um, we'd be in a lot better place than we are now. But Hannah, 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 the birds can fly over the southern border now, straight into the wind farms they're erecting in Texas and everywhere else south of, in our southern states <laughs> to make green energy and then get killed flying into the wind farms. So brilliant. Yeah. Let's not protect the birds from accidentally going into these wind farms. Just leave them open so that they can boom. And then the illegal immigrants can also cross over too and not have to climb those white cliffs that our heroes climbed. Yeah, completely agree with you. Um, you know, the, the current administration, um, they, they keep touting the idea that illegal immigration is now low, but it's not. And at the same time, the cartels are just running victory laps around whatever border construction we do have. You know, I've seen videos today of people throwing other people over the border wall, climbing over the border wall. You know, the cartels, they're, the coyotes, they're making so much money from this. And it's a shame that our current administration is doing nothing to, to, to mitigate that. Well, you write in there that the border includes 
693 miles of federal or tribal-owned land, some of which are designated as protected areas, such as the Sonoran Desert National Monument, Big Bend National Park, Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge, just to name a few, you write. And you write that these are all vital to the, our natural heritage. Now, wait a minute. Um, it's, it, you champion the causes of Native American Indians as long as it ha- doesn't have to do with the, se- the southern border. So it's okay to violate their tribal lands, their rights, their property rights, uh, their personal security. Uh, you can see crime rates rise on the tribal lands. That's okay. That's okay. But heaven forbid it be, say, like in the state of Montana or Nevada or, or maybe even the state of New Jersey. You can't violate tribal lands or rights there. But on the southern border, it's perfectly fine. That's exactly right. And, and the Biden administration has put billions and billions of dollars into including Native Americans into their equity plan. Every, every DHS document, every FEMA grant now says tribal lands or tribal-owned lands um, to, to bring – um, recognition to the Native Americans, but then they totally, totally derelict them when it comes to the southern border. It's absolutely ridiculous. So not only are people being affected, but um, so are their regions, so are their lands. And it's a, it's a shame. It's a shame. And I, I said it again, and I'll say, I'll say it again, but it, it's, it, it, that, that same green gusto needs to be brought to the southern border. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a topic I, I noted that not a lot of people write about, and uh, it's very touchy. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a direct call out to the left to to get their get their act together. You know you can't you can't um, you can't be on the on the border fence about it. You know uh, you can't say that you're all for the environment, but then completely let it just go to ruins down there. I mean we've got human waste. Uh, you've got vehicles that are abandoned. You've got um, backpacks filled with who knows what. Um, people are finding syringes and medicine, and um, it's just it's horrible. So if you really care. If you really care about the animals, if you really care about the water systems that are being affected by the runoff from human waste and spewage, you would you would do something about it. Yeah, and when Biden came to office and the border got flung wide open, we were talking about that here, uh, about the rise, especially when migrants, the illegal aliens, would end up in cities like Los Angeles, uh, the rise in cases of, um, oh, good Lord, brain fart meningitis, uh, tuberculosis, uh, a lot of diseases, uh, uh, what is it, uh, rubella, uh, measles, things that we eradicated, chickenpox, things like that we eradicated years, decades ago. Also now, um, what's the other one? Leprosy, another one. They were finding police officers coming down with leprosy because they were interacting with these communities of illegal aliens where we've never had this. When was the last time we saw a case of leprosy? It happened at least three or four decades ago. But yet we're finding these diseases coming, of course, with these illegal aliens. And no one's talking about that. But we'll get locked down for COVID. Yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And, I mean, the school systems in Chicago, parents are outraged because, you know, vaccines – over 10 vaccinations are required to enroll their children in, in schools in Chicago, but the migrants that they're allowing into the school systems don't have to have any proof of medical documentation whatsoever. So you're right. Get ready for measles. Get ready for rubella. It's all going to come back. Severe cases of whooping cough, that kind of thing. And it, it, it's not fair to um, 
it's not fair to the, the sanctity of our nation, firstly, but it's also not fair to the children that have to deal with that and be put in that kind of medical environment. Exactly. And then you also have now illegal aliens being housed inside school gymnasiums. So now our children are coming in close contact with them. You don't know uh, what their background is, and some of them claiming to be children are actually, in effect, adults, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. You have those even older trying to pass themselves themselves off as children. You don't know what their criminal background is. You don't know what their health background is. And they are in close proximity with the most precious gift we have in this nation, and it's our children, our future. And You're exactly right. No one cares. Those, uh, yeah, no one cares. I, I care, but the current administration doesn't care, unfortunately. They're the ones who have uh, made this be, be the way it is. And um, most of most asylum seekers aren't actually true asylum seekers, and most asylum seekers are men, and men over the age of 18, um, and those are the ones that are housed in the gymnasium. It's not, it's not cute little four-year-old migrant little boys. It's not little girls. It's not family units. It's men, um, and, and that's, that's the way it goes um, when it comes to what's going on in, in New York City with the school gymnasiums. And New York City, it's gotten so bad that the, the mayor, Mayor Adams, is actually paying houses of worship uh, 125 so $125 per migrant per night to house them. And he's openly asked that the citizens of New York um, open open their homes uh, to, these, to these migrants that they don't know. And I just, I just wonder how many of those people in those highfalutin New York City neighborhoods with the no human being as the legal signs in their front yard, I wonder how many of their doors will be open to these migrants. Oh, yeah, but Eric Adams is now suing all the counties around him for refusing to accept the refuge that he took in. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he, he, he said, that's... <laughs> you don't want them? What do you mean you don't want them? <laughs> yeah, we don't want them for a good reason, for a very good reason that you stated before. But uh, so far, Biden has taken in more th- that we know of. More than two million illegal aliens have entered since he took office. Uh, yet, where's PETA? Have you heard a peep from PETA? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, yeah, well, they, they, should, they should do something about the animals at the border. You know, the uh, illegal aliens at the border, they're, they're hunting. They're hunting endangered species. Um, it's a very rich and biodiverse environment there at our border regions, and they're they're hunting endangered species. They're setting up, you know, like squatters camps that you know catch fire. There was a pretty bad one back um back in, and this isn't a new issue. Back in 2006, there was a really bad fire that came from a migrant campsite just south of the border, and it trickled in and it caught flame um, in California and ruined, absolutely ruined um, federally owned land. It was a state park. You know, you you write in your article that the borderlands are biologically rich, which you just said, and home to thousands of different mammals, insects, and vegetation. Uh, And the National Wildlife Federation says the rapid consumption of land could threaten survival of nearly one out of every three imperiled species in the United States. Uh, You write, for example, the Florida black panther. The panther is at risk. I shouldn't say black panther. <laughs> it sounds like I'm being racist. But you wrote the Florida panther. I, I accidentally threw that in. Um, once, What was once now rural land is a highway for illegal immigration. 
And yeah, where's PETA? Where are the people there trying to preserve our animals going extinct? Where are the people worrying about the ecosystem? Uh, no, oh, right, that's that's right. Um, they're over there in Scandinavia with Greta Thornburg, watching her graduate high school. They, they they'd rather just look at the massive, massive big picture of climate change, which happens naturally. I mean, that's that's just it's not something that is exacerbated by mankind. Um, rather than focus on, like I said momentarily ago, the six to eight pounds of trash that every migrant leaves at the southern border. Now, you, you know, if you multiply that by the 1.4 million who have entered the nation just along the southern border alone, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't use data from the northern border, but the 1.4 million who have entered since October of last year, that's, that's 9 million pounds of trash that's just sitting there, and it's going into the waterways. I know um, Texas shouldn't have to. But they are. They're using their own money, uh, and they're deploying a 1,000-foot inflatable water, water-based barrier in the middle of the Rio Grande, um, right there in Eagle Pass, um, so to prevent people trying to cross through, make that perilous journey. And then also because the water at the Rio Grande, it, it's horrible. It's, it's turning browner and browner every day. It used to be such a, a luscious, vegetative, rich environment. The fish didn't have three eyes. And and it's it's just going downhill from here. And Texas, you know, they shouldn't have to they shouldn't have to use their funds, their taxpayers' money to do this thing. Um, but they have to step up. The border states have been stepping up because the federal government won't. You know, I actually found the one on U.S. immigration affidavits. I accidentally stapled it to your other article. <laughs> do yourself a favor, Hannah. Don't get old. There's no future in it. <laughs> I'm trying not to. But what I found interesting when we're talking about the U.S. immigration affidavits, that actually it's monopoly money. It's basically what it is. Uh, but Zimbabwe's $10 trillion note is available for sale on eBay for sixty nine ninety nine, <laughs> And this one piece of paper is worth even less. Uh, I would say it's probably not even worth $0.10. Cents. Um, but the administration invented yet another new parole program, this one to admit 30,000 Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans, and more with a fake visa program, which seems to be on the way. Is there any way to violate the security of this nation? This administration has found a way to do it. Yeah, I can I can see some sense in coming in legally and then trying to represent, you know, your cousin or your aunt or your own child who's still south or north of the border and then having them come in through you through a legal process. But basically these affidavits, someone who's arrived illegally a year ago, five years ago, they can now sponsor anyone um, and they can come in illegally as well through these. You know, the Biden administration loves to, to, to say this thing called a lawful pathway. Um, and that's his way of circum, circumnavigating all the, the legalities and the, and the pre-existing laws that every other administration has listened to. Um, and he gets, he gets them all in. And so, like I said, these lawful pathways. But it doesn't mean that the pathway or the migrant taking it are legal themselves. Uh, it's just uh, it's, it's like his uh, mass parole program, the catch and release program. None of them, none of them are lawful. None of them are here legally. You know, they keep saying that immigration's down, immigration's down, but it's not. Illegal immigration is as rampant as it's ever been. And to play this, um, he's trying to snow the American people just because you're ushering them, ushering them through a port of entry, barely screening or vetting them, sending them off with a, an app that will give them a court date seven years from now. That's not legal. 
So it's, it's not a lawful pathway. It doesn't make those migrants all of a sudden legal aliens, law-abiding citizens. It just doesn't. And it's a, it's a crying shame that this, it's, this ruse has just gone on for far too long. Yeah, we used to worry about dreamers. Uh, we used to worry about chain migration. A chain migration it would be where uh, someone comes over legally, and then they want to bring their spouse and their children. But what happened with chain migration is that now the spouse came over and said, well, I want to bring my sister or my, my, my mother or my brother. Uh, and then the brother comes over, and I want to bring my spouse and my kids and my mother. That's chain migration, but it's legal. However, what we have now with these immigration affidavits, it's not even chain migration. It's just illegal uh, immigration run amok. Yeah, and parole used to be on a case-by-case basis. That's how it's written in the law. Um, and if Congress was to do anything, they would they would probably limit the ability for Biden, which he's not. They're they're not going to do this. But in an ideal world, they would limit um, parole, the abuse of these immigration affidavits for classes of people and for um, entire nations themselves. So basically, with these affidavits, they're like, if you're from here you can come here. Or if you work in this sector, you can come here. It's, it's, it, and that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be very case by case. The screening and the vetting process is supposed to take a, a good amount of time so we can actually ensure that these people who they are, who they say they are, you mentioned earlier that um, a lot of these people, these asylees are, are actually uh, perpetrating, the, they're, they're perpetrating front. They're saying that they're unaccompanied children they're UACs, essentially, unaccompanied children, but they're not. They're actually adults. There was a case here that broke a couple weeks ago in Maryland, not too far from where I live. There was a a murder, and there was an immediate ICE detainer put on everyone involved in the murder because two out of the four men had come as unaccompanied children. That's what they claimed they were, seeking asylum as a child, and they were both adults. And the vetting process, the, the mass parole, the catch and release, it's not working, and it's catching up. It's catching up to to all cities, if you ask me, but it's really catching up to cities like Chicago or San Francisco, New York City, these sanctuary city policies. That's why the mayor has to sue the surrounding counties because he, he realizes it's caught up to him as well. And um, he's got to bring in, you know, his help from surrounding counties, and they don't want to. You know, they didn't have the sanctuary city policies, so why do you have to put them on me? Um, it's a big issue. Most certainly. Yeah, why tax my citizen for the stupid, idiotic thing that you did? Why are you going to penalize them for your you being a complete fool? Uh, but there's so much going on over the border, and it's absolutely, I mean, between what's going on in D.C. with the indictment of Trump and the non-indictment of the Biden family and what's going on with the southern border, uh, you want to throw in now California and Texas suing Florida for having the audacity to bust their illegal immigrants into sanctuary cities in Texas and in California. How dare they? Yeah, um, and I, I love it when DeSantis is pretty good at that. Um, he's and, and Governor Abbott's really good at that. You know, it, you, you're going to invoke these policies. You're going to take taxpayers' monies to fund um all these uh, public benefits for these migrants make it to where your local law enforcement does not cooperate at all with ICE um, and say, come on, welcome all, welcome all, then, you know, really mean it. Really mean it when the busload shows up in the middle of the night. 
And it's and what I think is ironic, painfully ironic, is that they can't send these people on buses to cities that are supposedly on the books that welcome them. But the Biden administration can use NGOs to fly uh, thousands of migrants in the middle of the night wherever they want, paid for by yours truly, you and I. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Oh, but Gavin Newsom wants to charge DeSantis with kidnapping for sending them under a false pretense. And yet you saw a news clip of them filling out forms saying that they consent to go to California. They agree to go to the city that they're offered to go to. They they want to. Then they interview the illegal aliens and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we really do. Yes, we know. We're getting on the plane. Yes, we're going to go over. No problem. <laughs> but Gavin Newsom wanted to charge DeSantis with kidnapping and uh, having an affidavit under false uh, circumstances or whatever he was trying to push on them. And I'm I'm laughing my butt off. I think I, I must have lost five pounds just laughing at this fool. Yeah, these uh, the, the illegal aliens are eager. They're eager to go. Um, they recognize that the places they're sending them are, are sanctuary city, like they have sanctuary city policies, and that it's going to be easier for them to get a driver's license in California than it will ever be in Florida. So they're eager. They're jumping on the bus. They're jumping on the plane. Um, and I think it, it's also kind of funny to say the, with the charge kidnapping, when most of these children, you know, if they were actually kids themselves, probably aren't. They're like, as I mentioned earlier with the case in Maryland, I mean, that, those people ended up being adults that were claiming to be kids, but they were part of an MS-13 gang, and they were like 27. So uh, I, I don't see that going anywhere, especially with the substantial proof that's backing up the DeSantis uh, team um, with with those videos. And at, at first I was a little worried. I said to myself, well, that's a good way to get them. That's a good way to get them in court. But, no, they're all eager to go. And they, they were smart about it, too, uh, by signing those papers. Yeah. They they really crossed their T's and dotted their I's with that one. I don't think it'll go anywhere. Well, what do you expect from an attorney? DeSantis is an attorney. You've got to know he's going to cross those T's and dot those I's. You know, uh, we're down to our last few minutes here. And I just wanted to uh, make a – I think the other side of the aisle is starting to look up and – pay attention uh, because now you have presidential candidate uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. uh, going to the southern border and actually going to the border, AOC. You hear me? Robert Kennedy actually went to the border. Uh, Kamala Harris, he he went. Yes, Joe Biden actually, Kennedy actually went to the border, believe it or not. (laughs) But when I listen to him describe what he saw, it's like I'm thinking to my head, We've been telling you about this for the last couple of years. It's about time you opened your eyes. Now open everyone else's eyes. Yeah, exactly right. I, I saw what he said, and I didn't know if it was the D.C. haze, the smoke coming from the Canadian wildfires or what, but I was like, is he making You're sense? You're the pot. Is this a leftist making sense? And um, and I said it last time I was on the show with you. I think any, any – uh, Anybody running for the presidency is going to have to run on an immigration-related ticket, a border reform ticket. That's going to have to be their agenda, and not in the way that Biden is running it, not in the way where he's lying to the American people, but actually going down there, talking to the local sheriff, talking to the migrants, figuring out why they felt coerced to come, why they thought it was okay to come in such mass quantities, and and really try and get down to the root causes of the issues and run on a ticket that's, that's transparently about border enforcement, interior enforcement, um, and get that wall back up because that'll, that'll stop it too. 
Well, I want to know who is the vendor that is, and who's paying the vendor to give these people these beautiful backpacks and the shoes and the clothing that they wear. Because I don't see people coming over here in tags and rags. Uh, I see them coming with smart devices that are more expensive than what I have sitting in front of me right now. I want to know who's paying for those uh, custom-made T-shirts and slogan signs that they're coming over with. If we follow that trail, we just might know who truly is behind this illegal alien rush. I can tell you. Uh, taxpayers' money is used <laughs> to fund these FEMA grants, and the FEMA grants are for emergency food and shelter. It's an emergency food and shelter program. And then it's funneled to the NGOs, and it's all Biden. No other presidency mm-hmm. has ever abused FEMA grants this much for a crisis that was made by design. It's um, their elective duty. It's, um, it's, in, it's impeachment-worthy. We're going to start with Secretary Mayorkas. Mm. Oh, if we only could, if we only could. Well, Hannah, it has been such great fun, and thank you for joining us again, and hope to see you again next week. All righty, thank you. All right, God bless. Hannah Davis, check her out, heritage.org. And that's all we got here for today, and I've got the wrong wrong mouse for the wrong computer as I try to hit the controls here. So, Curtis, we'll be back um I know I have a couple of people already starting to line up for next week. I just don't have the notes in front of me. But uh, also, next Sunday is Father's Day. Let's keep that in mind. And if you don't join us next week ahead of time, I'll wish you a happy Father's Day. Uh, But it's been a great show. I'm sorry Dan Perkins didn't join us. I'll give him a call later on tonight to find out what's going on with him. Hopefully, everything is okay. And I'm glad Mark Tapscott was able to join us. And uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us over here on Facebook and YouTube and iHeart and uh, Substack and uh, a good lot. I don't even know where I am half uh, anymore. Uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, uh, I don't know. (laughs) But just go to our webpage. You can always tune over in over there at Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And again, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat station. And I'll leave you with our friend, uh, Gary Peccarella, Save America. All right.